calm down. Get a hold of yourself. Calm down. Now get back to your seat. I'll take care of this. Calm down. Calm down. Get a hold of yourself. Doctor, you're one on the phone. Everything's going to be all right. Sister, please. I'll handle this. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Friday, June 24th, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. Obviously, quite an interesting day. Quite a lot to talk about. There's a million different directions that people could be talking about Roe versus Wade today. And of course, I'm going to be using the unpopular lens, which is that they're all crazy. You know, I don't mean it like that, that the two party illusion, as usual, is absorbing all of the air or rather removing all the air from the room. So there's no ability to have a conversation right now in the mainstream construct of this conversation. It's out of focus for some reason to actually have a conversation about how the two-party illusion or the two-party sides of this make these ridiculous claims on either side, either that it is entirely, you know, in any context we've talked about this, let's just take foreign policy, it's either all or nothing, right? They're either all terrorists or there's nothing, terrorists don't exist. It gets in this really ridiculous back and forth where always it's somewhere in the middle. Now, that's the best way to picture how this usually works. Today, I see what's happening here and this is an important topic. Let's not diminish the idea that these are, we're talking about the ability, the, the rights around a woman being able to choose whether or not she can have an abortion, essentially, and whether ultimately at her bit being her right to do so. Now, really what changed so far, just to start off with that first point, is that now it's just being handed down to the states as opposed to the federal government making that decision. And we've already seen at least one state, as I can see, immediately making the decision that abortion is now illegal. But What's interesting is that states' rights have always been an important discussion here. Now, you may disagree with what that state did or what other states have done, but it's an interesting point to make that it should ultimately be the decision of the state and the population of that state. Now, the point, though, is that this is becoming it's, – it's creating a situation where now they're, they're framing what was previously happening around the January 6th conversation, protesting. And yes, things get out of hand in all sorts of cases, whether it's the right or the left. But framing that as an insurrection, which I think we've all getting tired of pointing out how ridiculous that statement is, regardless of what other crimes have taken place there, or what things you want to point out, the laws that were broken. I'll walk along that road the entire way with you, but it still is not even remotely close to what they tried to make it out to be. Now it's beginning to seem like it might have been part of a bigger agenda, as now we're seeing the very same people on the other side of the argument that were just flabbergasted. I couldn't believe people were calling this an answer. I can't believe they would even use such terminology. It's a travesty of just, okay, I agree with all of that. Those same people now pointing at the other side with no irony saying that they're calling for insurrection, they're committing insurrection. Then it all becomes quite clear, doesn't it? It seems to be, look at least to me, like if you stand back outside of the politics of it all, that now it looks like no matter what you're doing on either side of this, if you choose to push back against powerful people, well, you're you're a terrorist. You're it's an insurrection. You're trying to overthrow the government. 
what about the part of that, and this is the in-between nuance, where you have a right to protest, right? Of course, I'm not saying that people that are taking violent action in the context of what you want to call an insurrection is not, shouldn't be called an insurrection. But is that everything? Is that literally everybody everywhere that's going to be protesting? Well, right now, what I'm going to show you is that the right is pretty broadly framing anybody on the left that's protesting as that. Not to say that there aren't people taking action, and in their minds, probably in the same way, doing, well, they did it and got away with it, so we're going to do it. It becomes this ridiculous back and forth. We're going to go through this today, and it's sort of an overarching point of the show today, to show you this two-party illusion and how it destroys logic. Now, again, to reiterate, because I know people just love to take things out of context, that in no way is to imply this is not an important topic, and that, it shouldn't be, that, it, that there shouldn't be a debate around it. But also remember the point I made the other day is that this is happening not in some deceptive way. This isn't thievery. They didn't rob the government of this choice. This went through the normal process. This is how this is supposed to go. Just because you don't like the way that it went and maybe argue that there was, I mean, here you could get into the argument of whether there was suspicious action about how certain judges got put in place, but that's not the argument being made here. They're just simply going, well, they're Trump appointees, therefore they're what? White supremacists? Terrorists? Republicans? Oh no. You mean half the country? Well, I'll get into that actually. That's not even really the point. It's Half of the illusion this, of, the, of what we pretend it represents this country, most people in this country are independent or realize the two-party illusion is ridiculous, but still get forced into voting one way or the other. But I'll, I digress because I can go off on this forever in the beginning, but what, more than just that topic, but it's such an important one for everything today. We're going to get into some pretty important topics that aren't being discussed because of that, which is sort of the secondary point, just as important around things just like this. Whether or not they're real or genuine or important or monumental, these will always be used in a way to make you ignore other things. Now, there's a conversation to be had about what's going on around monkeypox today. Now, maybe a little bit early because I, I, as I read, maybe today there's going to be a ruling. And if that ruling goes in the direction of we're deciding this is an international concern, well, of course, that's going to get zero attention until after this whole fervor goes away. Maybe that's the point. We'll have to wait and see how that pans out. But we're going to focus on what's going on around that conversation. We're also going to talk about it specifically the two-party illusion and how it's not just a Roe versus Wade, but how it's affecting our logic around scientific studies around COVID-19. Then also we're going to get into some topics around specifically the CDC, theirs data, and how... FOIA requests have proven exactly what we've been telling you the entire time. And I've been saying that not because of my opinion, but because it's just basic realities, seeing their resources, their limitations, and showing you it's a mathematical impossibility that they can actually investigate every single report. They didn't, they couldn't have, and now it's being proven that they didn't even try. Now, the information shows you that they are not just saying, well, we can't get to it. They're acting as if it doesn't matter while claiming they were always going to be looking at this stuff while giving the people on the Twitterverse the argument of they've investigated and discounted all of them. No, they haven't. And that's then turning into, well, oh, it's all meaningless. Vayers is all meaningless. And it's, well, we'll get into that and show you again what the 2006 report or rather article covering what they said in 2006 from the UK admitted that these are exactly what we should be looking at. That we don't need to prove this stuff. Signals alone should be enough to stop this back in 2006 with, you know, 50 reports. Now, as we're over 2 million, well, that's meaningless. doesn't matter. Don't look at it. And we'll also talk about the New South Wales data. Again, the newest report showing you exactly what we're talking about. And a finish off point with some focus on a little bit on myocarditis again and some reports that people are 
acting aren't as if they're not there and the hypocritical nature of where they go with these while they're focusing on Abbott's baby formula and Jules e-cigarettes. Look how dangerous they are based on things we can barely prove, but we're going to pull them off the market right now. But make sure you get your baby injected with something we're still studying because that's safe, right? But let's go ahead and get into this to start off with the important topic. Or actually, of course, I take that back. Quick points I wanted to include on some foreign policy things that I thought were just really important to just drop on you to make sure you see this. We've talked about this already, but as Vanessa Bealey points out, as well as the Independent covered, Israeli forces fired shots that killed a journalist. Her name was Shireen Abu Akleh. And this is according to the United Nations, according to multiple reports. Now, what's interesting about this is they denied this even happened, acting as if this wasn't Israeli forces. And there's also been more than one journalist. And as she points out, waiting for the sanctions to be applied. Well, you know, sure, hold your breath. It's not going to happen. Even though the allegation of something like this anywhere else, especially in a place like Ukraine or, you know, a place where they want to make it about somebody bad guy like Russia or Iran. Well, it would just be the hypothetical, just the floated idea that it could have happened is enough to start investigations. But not here. Not if it's Israel's government, not if it's the United States involved, but here is the independent made in America fired in the West Bank. The bullet that killed the Palestinian journalist. The bullet is known for its ability to pierce through armor. So here we're talking about illegal rounds, specifically in regard to civilian activity, let alone a journalist. But on top of the fact that it's U.S. rounds being given to Israeli government that's used on people like this and then the deniability of it all. There's more than enough evidence to make this a really serious international you know, a war crime. The bullet was a 5.56 millimeter round shot by an M4 rifle, often used by Israeli armed forces. The bullet was designed and manufactured in the United States. Now, the, the journalist was wearing a blue helmet and body armor marked with the word press. Very, all this is verifiable. Al Jazeera's report said, and this is where this information is coming from, said that the powerful bullet pierced her helmet, entered the head, and then ricocheted against the inner surface of her protective gear. Possibly by design, who knows? But it says Israel forces have denied the accusation, offering up several conflicting narratives in what critics describe as an attempt to deflect blame. Yeah, so they're proving this is happening, and all they do is go, you're fake news. That's lies. And then give a bunch of different stories that are all supposed to make it go away. You know why that's going to make it go away? Because nobody who is supposed to be holding these people accountable are ever going to hold them accountable unless we make them do so. Or rather call out that they don't actually care about holding this specific entity accountable. The Israeli government in this case. I mean, you could make the same argument out of plenty of other governments that get away with certain things. The UK government, French government. But in this case, this is blatant. And as you have all of the leading human rights organizations around the world openly calling this an apartheid state, this is becoming obscene. That you're that if you're out there allowing this to happen with all the evidence on the side of the obvious criminal action taking place here, well, it's politics, just like we're going to make clear everywhere else. Choosing politics over your logic, the facts, and human life, as long as it leans in the way of your two-party choice. Right? I'm speaking to all of you in your minority out there that believe you're the majority within the two-party paradigm. Yeah, guess what, guys? You're all on the same side right now, as far as we're looking at it. All of the, the average people staring at both of you maniacs on the left and the right, acting like you're controlling things. You, well, technically, the government is, but that's the minority. That's what we need to see. The, I'll, let's just say 15%, the 30% block that is the two-party illusion. 15% Republicans, 15% Democrats acting like everybody. Those are my numbers, of course. I believe 70% of this country fluctuates within that independent area, and that's what's most important to focus on. Just my thoughts. But here is a report from Robert. Israeli occupation forces kill five Palestinians as tensions boil, including a U.S. citizen. Yeah, where was the outrage there? Where was the international crime tribunal or the, the human rights tribunals? None of it happened, even with a U.S. citizen, right? 
Not that that matters more in regard to life, but in the context of the U.S. judicial system, or excuse me, the justice system, if you want to call it that, or the Biden administration, a U.S. citizen can be literally shot dead in the middle of the street by or by Israeli forces and not a peep by Biden's administration, not calls for investigations, nothing. How do you, how, are, how can Americans be okay with that? How can anybody be okay with that? Here, if you want to check out his, his reports in general, I'll just include this link so you can see his reports. Oh, and then by the way, just, you know, in the, in the, in, in the discussion of U.S. military weaponry going to very terrible people that use them against innocent people, here is uh, the, the Ukrainian government telling us, hey, we just got you U.S. precision artillery systems from the U.S. government. Good times. Right. While it's very clear that pretty much every report, even now from the corporate media, are letting are making it very clear that in Ukraine it's an all it's a foregone conclusion that Russia has completely, absolutely taken control of this war, and now you're just dumping more weaponry into the people that are going to just use it like a cornered animal. And we're watching reports come out about how they're just blobbing these weapons into open civilian areas in Donetsk, or the fact that they're hurting the people they're trying to flee as they get pushed back. But yeah, just keep dumping weapons in there. The open neo-Nazi elements that are now being proven in real time, as if they needed to be proven, as we've shown you endlessly. But, you know, I digress. Not the focus today. But yeah, just dump the weapons in there as we all focus elsewhere. Well, one last point before we start with the Rover's Wade, or rather just the judicial discussion, because there's one other point about a gun control point we'll make right before we get into that and it's in the same context here is the disinformation board that is still happening and the reason this is important to start with is because this whole disinformation fake news argument is exactly where all this goes it's incredible to see how this is still happening and we knew this it wasn't it was even the disinformation governance board was only momentarily paused but guess what guys as we already made this clear i just wanted to reiterate this Homeland Security put out a statement about why, and which is a kind of a joke, it's because disinformation, as if we were spreading fake news about the fake news board, and that's why it didn't happen. That's why it's all so more important. Well, but you remember, guys, it's already still happening. Memorandum of the establishment of a different task force. Oh, weird, we put that one to bed momentarily, and we'll just start a new one under a slightly different guise. This one's only sort of focused on women and LGBTQ, but it's about disinformation and public figures and and who leads this? Oh, Kamala Harris. That's right. So this is just simply a couch art. It's the same thing. Their mandate is to focus on disinformation, but si simply focused on women and LGBTQ. But why is it any different? You're simply building the, you're, you are policing speech. That's what this comes down to under the guise that that speech is hurting and, and abusing women. Now, can, can people that do spread that say things, let's say, that you think are offensive, eventually do things that are illegal? Yes. Well, when they do things that are illegal, well, then you could take action. Saying things is not illegal. This is the problem that these people can't get minds around. Now, look, just like they would argue in reverse, well, if you don't like the law, then vote for it, then change it, right? Don't go out there and protest and vote for it and change it. Well, except when you're a Republican and you do that, well, you're a terrorist immediately. The point is here, guys, that if you don't like the law, they would tell you to go out and get, take action and change it. Well, right now, the law is pretty clear. It's not a crime to say things, even hate speech, guys, even hate speech. It's not a law. It's not a crime. So when they say it's becoming it, basically what this is, is framing the idea of what they say is hate speech. Now, look, there is hate speech. You're allowed to have you're allowed to have you're allowed to say things that are considered hate speech. But I would point out there's plenty of it that I would argue is terrible. And I have the right to say you're a disgusting human being for expressing those terrible thoughts. But you have a right to say them. The point is that they're framing that stuff as actual violence, but that's not the means to an end. The means to an end is to get me or people like us 
framed as saying things that they say are those things that then lead to violence, even though we're not actually saying those things. For instance, this conversation right here, because it is diminishing the abuse that these people suffer. Well, therefore, I am speaking hate speech and therefore I am violent. You see, you can't even have a conversation about whether this is legitimate without being called something like this. That is the whole point. Sort of an abstract point, but the reality is it's still right here in front of you, even though the disinformation governance board is not even gone. But here's what they said about it. The board has been grossly and intentionally mischaracterized. This is this this statement, by the way, from Homeland Security. It was never about censorship or policing speech. Please believe us, guys, in any manner at all, except that's actually literally what it is. How can you argue that by telling people that you're not allowed to say certain things, whether you want to call it hate speech or not, call it insulting or not, call it against women or not? Or in this case, the Disinformation Governance Board, let's just say it was about vaccine misinformation, which was their big focal point. So, okay, if you're going to sell it, you can't spread vaccine misinformation. That's what they blatantly write down. How is that not policing speech in any manner? You see, this is just becoming comical because in their mind, that's acceptable because, well, you're hurting, you're putting people in danger. Well, fine. We, we understand you believe that. But then that doesn't just suddenly not become policing speech because you agree with why it's happening. Obviously, telling people they can't say or type certain things is exactly that. It's exactly censorship, but censorship you agree with. But nonetheless, they just go, no, it was never about those things in any manner. You can almost hear them going, just believe us. It was designed to ensure we fulfill our mission to protect the homeland. Even just the term that seems very, you know, Almost just very interesting that the, the homeland while protecting core constitutional rights. So protecting the homeland while protecting your rights, except what they're doing is specifically and directly undermining those rights. And I don't even know, understand how they translate me saying those things are dangerous and proving that and then saying you're fake news and that's putting the homeland at risk because they're conflating all of this as if you doing that is somehow working alongside Russia to undermine the democracy. But that's where we get into the kind of quagmire of the vanilla ISIS argument that I'm not going to get into today that I very clearly see in all of this. But my thoughts, however, it goes on to say false attacks have become a significant distraction from the department's vitally important work to combat disinformation that threatens the safety and security of the American people. Of course, again, meaning, you know, foreign policy, but also because you're stopping people from getting life saving treatments. Well, I'm not doing anything but telling people what I think is happening, and then backing that up with peer-reviewed science and expert testimony. Now, I could be wrong, of course. Never said otherwise. I'm not forcing people to listen to me, and this becomes the paradox, right? Well, not really, but the way that it's... The problem is that they're telling you that you're not allowed to speak on these things because you're then giving people wrong information, they say. It's not, but they say, which then drives them in a direction of dangerous choices. Yes, choices. They are still in control of their lives. Are you literally framing them as some mindless automaton that can only listen to what they're told and then march in that direction? I know that's what you're building, and maybe that's the whole problem. You're using the, we're training automatons, and you're giving them information that marches them away from what we want. That's not fair. (laughs) I'm getting abstract here. The point, guys, is obvious that they don't want you telling people things that challenge what they're saying. Even if you're wrong, by the way, which is your right? But that comes back to the other point about your rights. But it says, how can the department most effectively and appropriately address disinformation that poses a threat to our country? Is one of the questions they're going to be asking in this new discussion featuring DHS Secretary Michael Chertoff, who we discussed before, while protecting free speech, civil rights, and civil liberties and privacy. Always couched as a secondary, right? How can we defend our country, you know, while pretending to care about these things, too? 
always the point being is that, yes, yes, we care. We care. You know, it's like saying we're going to censor your speech because we care about your free speech. It just doesn't make sense. You're acting, you're openly discussing taking action against those things and acting like you care about those things. And even if they secretly, maybe they really do. And they believe that it's the right thing to do. It doesn't change the fact that what they're doing is unconstitutional. There's no wiggle room here, guys. Shall not be infringed. Inalienable. Are a re- they're there for a reason. How can DHS achieve greater transparency across our disinformation-related work and increase trust with the public and other key stakeholders? And other key stakeholders, quite an interesting part there. You know, your public-private WHO, World Economic Forum crossovers, that's who they're talking about, right? How do we increase our trust with the public? That's that's long since been gone, long before COVID, by the way. But it says final recommendations within 75 days. So that's when they plug this one in. You know, we're going to keep doing it, right? But for now, as it says down here, by the way, department's critical. Oh, wait, hold on. I'll just do this. There you go. As it says at the bottom, department's critical work across several administrations to address disinformation that threatens the security of our country will continue. Right. Regardless of whether or not they're stopping this, it's just the point is it's all just an illusion. It's all continuing forward to control what you're allowed to say and think. Because if you do anything other than what they say you're allowed to say and think, well, you're putting the country at risk. They say, anyway. And so here's a couple points in regard to what they're being asked about, about this policy. About specifically two things. One is the board we just pointed at and why it's, why it's not exactly the same thing. Can you explain? Which they don't. Which she clumsily stumbled. Here's the point you should take away from both these, by the way. It is her job to have these answers. Especially who's invited into these meetings. As the press secretary, you know damn well, she knows what the process is about who does, who's being picked and allowed to come into these meetings, which is not how that's supposed to happen. That's not free press. That's selected press. They know that. It's the illusion of pretending like free press and free speech and all these things they scream about while they actively stop all of them. And there are plenty of places around the world they call totalitarian regimes that have far more free press than we do. And they go, oh, no, you're not allowed to say that. But it's the truth, guys. This is the illusion of, like, we're the only country with freedom. (laughs) Not even real anymore, by the way, if it ever truly was in the context we believe we had it. But there's plenty of other places that have the same illusion of freedom. Trust me. And I mean that in the actual sense, that they have the same thing, if not better, than what we pretended we had moments ago. Not a benefit. It's not to diminish anything we have here. It's just simply the reality. We have this childish hat on where we pretend like everything's based on what this country... We need to come to reality with where we currently are at the very least. Now, here's what she's saying in regard to this. Is we were told that the task force was going, bottom line, how, just the question was, how could, why are they different, right? Why is this any different than what you first did? The first is just a clarification on the new online policy task force. A lot of us in this room. Okay. Um, the first one on the online policy task force that the vice president's leading that's getting kicked off today. Mm-hmm. Um, on a background call last night, we were told that it's going to be different from the disinformation governance board um, in that it's going to focus on illegal conduct online. But the memo creating it was a little bit broader and uh, mentioned, and I'm quoting from the document, uh, quote, online harassment abuse. and disinformation campaigns targeting women and LGBTQI plus individuals who are public and political figures. Um, could you clear up the disinformation charge? Of so I would need to uh, talk to her team. I was not on the background call. Uh, so that specific um, uh, language that you're, you're providing to me, I would just have to check in with her. I would also encourage you to check, to check as well with her, her team. Um, I can't say more because I, I wasn't on the background call. Thank you. And yeah.
I understand that you don't have everything in front of you. Why don't you flip through your gigantic book with all the exact things you're supposed to say and then mispronounce them? The point is clearly that you should understand these things. And, and th this one's a little less as specific as the next one, but come on. Obviously, it's a question that you're not supposed to address, and I think that's why they're not being addressed. But this makes this point even more clear. Because what, what, she, what, what they're asking next here is about why people are being selectively chosen to come into this exact type of meeting. As the press secretary, are you really going to pretend that you don't know the criteria for who gets let into your briefings? This access issue. Um, for more than a year now, uh, the White House press office has been having uh, everyone in this room RSVP to presidential events in the East Room, the State Dining Room, the Executive Office Building. Um, and then there is a process where people are selected and able to go into these presidential events where the president often takes questions. Um, the Correspondents Association has tried in vain to figure out how this process works. Um, and over time, it has kind of morphed into a bit of a blacklist where certain large media outlets, such as my own, are oh, almost. Blacklist? Never that's. that's well, I mean, I, I'm just saying I represent oh. the fourth largest. Get ready for the blacklist racism comments to come out. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing I'm getting she doesn't she doesn't. It, she, it feels like she's about to make that statement. and doesn't. But I just mark my words. My I'm guessing I believe we're going to see that whole thing dissected. How blacklist is a racist term. And you know, maybe it is. Maybe it stems back to some argument about I've never even thought about where that comes from. But the point is that it is a general term that is used like any other thing that's been allowed suddenly no longer allowed the point should matter about whether or not the person means it with that kind of intent and then that gets into the idea of whether or not it's their right to do so right but, oh not today the bottom line is i think that that's going to become a conversation and we'll see why that oh it's a oh, blacklist really or you, you call him i mean what's the implication he's the one saying they're on a blacklist is you know racist for saying that i'm getting ahead of myself anyway let's wait for it newspaper in the country and I have been selected since November. Um, so can you that's a that's a that's a jump for to a blacklist, but I'm listening. I'm listening. Not not really. I, how is it a jump? You're grouping a people that are no that are on a list that are being not allowed into the room. That's quite literally what it is. Just to be clear. I mean it's not just me. Certain others are Oh okay I didn't I didn't realize and that. the correspondence okay. association actually Ah, you didn't have all the information. Shocking. She wants this to be done away with, but I was hoping that you could, I know you're new in the position, but yeah. perhaps explain how the Can I look into works. it? Can I look yeah. into this? Because I, I actually uh, don't know what you're, the, the process that you're speaking of. I think blacklisting is, is, a, is a very uh, strong word to use. Uh, we have been, you know, we have been, make, we try to make sure, do our best to make sure that uh, press gets to hear uh, from the president directly. Uh, it is important for us. It is important for you all. It's important for the American people. Uh, and so that has been a priority. So let me look into this process that you're speaking of. I, I you know, without having all the answer to the Correspondents Association. I, 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 I speak, you're talking about Steve, Steve yes. Portnoy. I talk to Steve all the time. We're talking, I believe, if not today, tomorrow, we're checking in and we'll have that conversation for sure. I'm sure he'll bring it up. Okay. Great. So, you, so you're ignoring the question about what your the process. I mean, it just frustrates me, doesn't it? And by the way, just to, you know, just to point this out, guys. You know, the, people will always want to take the kind of statements I make because of the, the 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 way that the world is today as being insensitive or racist or hate speech or anything like that. And anybody who has two brain cells to rub together and watch my content and understand why I do what I do knows that that's the opposite of what I believe am and everything else. So anybody anywhere, the chat, watching this at home, that are making comments about her because she's black or because anything else, you're a bad person. I think you're disgusting. The point is not about these kind of things. And I'm not suggesting anybody is in the chat. I would hope my audience wouldn't do that. The point is simply about the reality. 
that you're being, you're, that you are sidestepping the, the points that you are making. And I, the comments we made before about her speaking incorrectly and so on. It's, I would say that about anybody, right? The problem is that these things get pushed into these conversations so they can be ignored and dismissed. That's not to say that there aren't racist people. That was a point you just made. But the problem is people are being framed as these things because they sort of like the Israeli government calling anybody that points at their overt war crimes a racist. It's the clumsy version of exactly what happens all over the place. But it works because people get shut down. Today, though, it's becoming much more difficult because hopefully people are finding more courage to stand up. I think COVID did that in its own weird way, where you saw these doctors brave against this immediate pushback. Remember the first ones that stood up? They got destroyed. The Jensen is the one I always point at, but there's plenty of them. They lost their practices, and guess what? They were right. Maybe not in every single thing they said, but they were right to raise alarm. And the point is that people started to recognize, you know, we need to start taking that. Step up first, take the hit, and make sure we clear the path for people to come behind us. We should not be afraid to say the truth, no matter how uncomfortable that may be. That's where we are today. Now, here's the point in this Sort of a, a bad segue, really, but here is the opposite of that. Here is a here is a tweet that I keep putting out in the context of disinformation. That's the point we're making in the disinformation governance board. That's complete and utter fake news, and I did it for a reason. For those that may still be confused about that, there's people that I'll show you some other tweets. I put this out as a test. According to the science, if you take the COVID vaccine, you'll be protected from any form of death for the rest of your life. Hashtag trust the science. Hashtag I stand with Ukraine. Eight quotes, 12 retweets, 48 likes, many, 20 people, as I understand it, or more have reported this as mis medical misinformation, which, by the way, it is. Now, I'm not saying that should be censored by in any sense. But the point is they're censoring all sorts of people for spreading things that we can prove. So here's an example of something that is very clearly not true, because that would make you immortal, essentially. And it's still there, despite reports. So you understand that even one report should be enough for them to go, well, clearly, based on their rules, that is fake news. But my point is they don't censor pro-vaccine anything. Now, that has to be algorithmic. There's no way that that wouldn't, because they, they it's obviously challenging the information. People are obviously reporting it, and it's still there. Here are some people that are going with it from the same thing. Please jump in, do the same thing. And yes, I do mean report my tweet. I'm not worried about being censored. You guys know that. Might they'd be funny to see that one censored of all things, but it says the Pfizer vaccine makes you impervious to bullets and nuclear radiation resistant. <laughs> exactly. I retweeted it. Still there. That's definitely fake news. I heard it give you superhuman running speed like the flash. <laughs> I mean, obviously those are ridiculous. That's kind of why I tried to make mine a little bit more, you know, th there was even a study that came out arguing that was sort of the case that it makes your, it reduces your death in all other cases. It was just, that was a real study. The point is this stuff continues. Sort of like this one that we just pointed out the other day. Like, I can't believe this is real journalism, or I should, it's not journalism, real media, corporate media propaganda. But they point out on this Monday in San Francisco, people were heat dying, heat-related, or excuse me, not dying, to be clear, passing out, having heart attacks, all sorts of things. Heart attacks, heat stroke, physical trauma, falling down. They say specifically it was because heat and dehydration. It was 75 degrees on that day in the Bay. 75 degrees, guys. Which, by the way, as I pointed out with Scott, is basically the average. June, June, the general average is 71 degrees Fahrenheit over a long period of time. 
And that's, this is for June specifically. So even just the average, which, by the way, that fluctuates, and we're going to pretend a four-degree increase causes heart attacks. I mean, for crying out loud, this is just blatant misrepresentation. There's no way that makes sense. And I'm not making this up. Read it for yourself. As CNN reported, more than 100 high-temperature records could be broken, which, as Scott points out, that could mean more 100 high-temperature records, which may mean over a certain temperature, or it could mean over 100 degrees. But in either case... Places that go over 100 degrees in California with every single year without fail doesn't mean people don't have problems. But to argue that people that live in San Francisco, when it's 75 degree day, when it's basically the average temperature you normally see, had heart attacks because of the heat, it's such an obvious sidestep of the reality. But that's allowed to be there. Why? Because they're allowed to lie in one direction. Heart attacks, heat stroke, falling down. Could sure couldn't be the experimental gene therapy they were all forced to take multiple times because that would be a crazy story, right? My God, the disinformation is going to govern all of the things that we're going to get into today and everything else we talk about, including the Roe versus Wade conversation. Now, I'm not sure where that's going to go. I'll give you my thoughts as we go through this next part, but I'll tell you, as I said in the beginning, I believe there's an agenda playing out here very strongly, and that does tie into some international discussions. And I think that the point here is about creating division, one. So people don't realize that it's not the person across the aisle, or that's the wrong way to say that because we're not in that room, but the person across the street who believes differently than you, that is the problem. It's the government pretending that they disagree. That is the problem. That's the real problem, right? And that's the the first thing is the division. But on top of that, we've already seen how this is being framed. They're already creating a situation where they're pretending that some faction of the Republican Party is sort of working with outside forces to overthrow the government. They've blatantly said that Russia with the election, you, I mean, all the stuff with Ukraine, all the conversations about the white supremacy threat and how that's building through Trump's administration. I mean, it's such a clumsy argument that's not rooted in actual facts. And I've been showing you this endlessly. So now when we get into this next part of it, the division continues. And the problem is, guys, is we are seeing Republicans, DeSantis himself, without any sense of irony, openly calling what they're doing already an insurrection. And that, guys, needs to be alarming to you. And the problem is that a lot of the people that are on the side of the, the, you know, let's just say the Republican Party that were over here agreeing with me because I was pointing out how one side of the two-party illusion was using the January 6th discussion to frame them as terrorists, and they're not. Those same people are now happy to jump on the bandwagon and go, yeah, call them insurrectionists. They did it to us, and you're falling into the trap. That's the point. But first, before we get into Roe versus Wade, this is an interesting starting point and almost kind of a weird, quiet undertone to the whole thing. And Maybe it's one of the things they don't want you paying attention to. First of all, this was yesterday. Supreme Court strikes down a New York law limiting concealed handguns in public. So again, you have the Supreme Court making a decision based on their rulings, their findings, which is supposed to be how the system works, right? Then you got all the people flipping out, saying, well, guess what? We're just going to try even harder to change everything. Win, fine. That's your political right, and that's what they always argue you should do. But the problem is you're not framing it as, okay, we're just going to go back to the, the drawing board and push back politically. They're framing this as some sort of robbery. Right. Like because they framed that action as immoral and wrong, sort of like the Trump discussion. Right. Where after the whole 2016 election, it wasn't just that we politically disagreed. It was that you're a terrorist. Right. That, oh, you think that? Well, you're literally burning the country down. Right. So I should almost maybe attack you kind of or maybe do things to you and you're not paying attention. Like we've saw this from both sides where where you're now the enemy, not just a political adversary. Right. 
That's where we are right now. So now because these people ruled this way, well, we need to find ways to attack them. We need to find ways to expose things they're doing in their own personal lives. We need to find ways, and this is happening on all sides. But right now we can see one side focused on this because of this thing that just happened. It is a good thing because it does allow more Second Amendment, allow, rather, releases their blocking controls on the Second Amendment. Now, whether you agree with that or not is irrelevant, guys. That's the idea of the shall not be infringed inalienable rights that we all possess. Now, the House, as of today, I believe, passed uh, yesterday, actually, passed a narrow bipartisan gun safety bill, 234 to 193, exactly Total coincidence, I'm sure, exactly one month after the shooting in Texas. The Senate, now ask yourself how that all planned out. Just so happens exactly one month later, and the point is that it is bipartisan. The Senate passed the bill Thursday, and it now goes to President Biden's desk, which I'm sure we can all assume he's going to veto it, right? Obviously not. This is going to pass with flying colors. So this is more restrictions on your rights. Now, again, guys, if you, this is the way the process is supposed to go. If you believe in how, if, if you believe in the point, or the I guess the argument that they're allowed to uh, pass laws that they're that directly contradict inalienable rights, that's another conversation, right? This is how the process is supposed to go. But what you should point out is that people in Congress are, I guess, unaware of the reality that the Supreme Court's ruled more than once, specifically Maybury, Maybury versus Madison, that anything that goes it is repugnant to the Constitution is simply null and void. So in this case, that would be null and void from a legal sense. But the problem is that most people in your in the in Congress, both Republican and Democrat, don't make that point. Even if they pretend to be not okay with this, why don't they stand up and and cite that Supreme Court ruling and say, "Well, look, guys, it shall not be infringed. These are inalienable rights that the founding fathers wrote down, not because they made them law, made them rights, because they were simply outlining what is inherent rights, whether or not they wrote that that." The wrote it down on a piece of paper. Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, the whole point. Or the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. The point is, guys, that we're talking about things that were always there, ever-present, no matter what, God-given. So when they pass this, the argument should be that, well, it's null and void. Now, Roe versus Wade, of course, was the decision on the same day, interestingly enough, was overturned. According to the Supreme Court. And as I kind of just jokingly pointed out, I said, Oh, is it riot season already? Because this is what's going to be, this is what this is going to be driven in. And of course, right away, we see Missouri bans almost all abortions after Roe versus Wade was overturned. Excuse me, I said that wrong at the beginning. Almost all is the point. Here's what you need to know. Now, the point, of course, when it, I wasn't even going to get into this today specifically, because it's more about, in my opinion, the division that's being driven up from it. But what's interesting to me is that if we're talking about almost all, yeah, that's frustrating. I can go back to this and look at it more. You know, so that ultimately means that they're not saying it's completely off the table, which is kind of a different conversation. But you should have a right in this state just to voice your opinions, right? They, this is something that's happened. Stand up and take action if you if you so fit, or if you see if you see fit. Excuse me. But the point is to take violent action is the exact same point that they would show in reverse. Now, to step into this for a moment from a two party paradigm hat. The argument, of course, is, well, if these people are standing up and screaming about my body, my choice, why is that logical? Seeing as how that's exactly what we're saying about the injection. And yes, it's the same point. It doesn't matter whether you think that it's the right thing or you think that it's safe for everybody or you think that it's the best thing for the population. It doesn't change that. 
Now, all you're doing is setting limitations, setting caveats, asterisk. Oh, well, yes, my body, my choice, except when this happens. But then there you go. That's not my body, my choice anymore. It becomes political. Now, on top of that, the problem here is that you create a situation where it, it kind of overshadows the real choices that were the, the, the reality of your constitutional rights under a guise of politics. I think that's the entire point here. And as David Smith points out, or types out, writes, David Smith, who, I mean, by the way, the guy, libertarian, he says, and, you know, whatever, the insurrection is cool again in three, two, one. Now, he's kind of making a joke, and I get where he's coming from. My problem with that, though, is that you're making the argument already as if what they're about to do is insurrection. Now, I'm not going to say that it might, maybe it will be. Maybe these people will literally break into buildings and try to overthrow the government. And then sure enough, we can, that'll be an insurrection. But my point is simply to already frame it as that, which are there not going to be people that just simply protest? And maybe they get violent with that protest, right? I mean, are we not going to say that there's examples on the right that do the same thing? We know that's already happened. The bottom line is we it's this two-party back and forth where we're unable to acknowledge one side or the other. We only pick one and we stand by, and that's the minority, as we need to remember. So what we need is the average people out here who are staying quiet because they think they're the minority to stand up and call this for what it is, a two-party illusion that's driving in the reality that you're no longer allowed to push back against powerful people ever from any side. Because one side or the other is going to stand up and call you a terrorist. That's all that needs to happen. Now, whether people like Dave Smith or DeSantis or anybody else that is already making this comment is aware of how that's being played. I, I shouldn't even poke Dave Smith. I feel like he's making a joke. I just want to use this to set the table. Because he's sort of right in a way from a two-party standpoint, right? It's now going to be acceptable to do certain things because it's on one. But it's the same way the right would allow certain things once they're the ones doing it. It's the flip-flop nature of it all. And we need to realize how this is hurting us. So here's the main thing, guys. Here's DeSantis. And this I was going to play this the other day, and I almost wish I would have now. But this was from a couple days ago on Fox and Friends. And this is not a joke. Here he is literally saying that this is going what they're going to be doing is essentially insurrection. They're trying to bring is attention to the fact that the Supreme Court may overturn Roe v. Wade later today or then again. So, yeah, so these are this is before we just saw what's happening today. These people are out there protesting. It hasn't even gotten to the point to where now this now, whatever it is, is going to get much more intense because of what just got ruled on. Right. So this is before that. The coverage could come out next week when they uh, ultimately do issue their opinion. Well, I think that we have a rule of law in this country, and you don't get to just have a mob descend on a Supreme Court justice's house or try to impede the operations of government because... Well, see, here's the problem, though, guys, is you do have that right. This is the problem. Unless you're bra- unless there's some kind of a law in regard to private property that you're violating, and even then you could argue something around that. But the point is, let's just say that, okay, you would hear, if you're just simply protesting outside that person's house, you have a right to do that. Can you, I mean, he just literally said that that's not the case or to impede a process. You're damn right. You have that right. As long as you're, as long as what you're doing is constitutionally protected, right? If you, if you, if you as long as you're not hurting people, taking violent action, are, are we really going to pretend that you're not allowed to enter a government building? As long as you're not being violent, that you're not allowed to, let's say, I don't know, walk into the center of the brief, the room and sit down and pretend and peacefully protest. 
If you're really going to make that argument today, I can point out a thousand examples of members of Congress doing that. Specifically, yes, in this case, Democrats. I can point out Pelosi and plenty of others that not too long ago walked in and sat down on the floor and made some kind of a statement. My point is that what he's doing, and it it feels like a logical point from the side of a two-party illusion because you're going, yeah, point out their hypocrisy, which you should. But the moment that he called it insurrection, the moment that he called, you're not allowed to impede the process, he's doing the same thing in reverse, guys. So now it doesn't matter what side you're doing it on. Now it becomes meaningless they're calling the January 6th an insurrection because now everything's an insurrection. Now it's just, we're all, yeah, they're all insurrections. The moment it becomes pushed back, you're now an insurrectionist. Now it becomes, it becomes ridiculous because none of them really are, but you as an individual who aren't caught up in the two-party illusion are simply no longer allowed to protest, even if it becomes an intense protest, which is your right. But that's the point. There may be a decision you don't like. Uh, that would be considered an insurrection to stop a court from functioning. Uh, okay, but see, the point is, and that's not true, by the way. That's not even remotely an insurrection. Like now, we're just, now we're just it's becoming meaningless. An insurrection, as well, here, let's just do this. Let's make sure we get the exact definition, because the point is that words have meaning. Okay, so insurrection means a violent uprising against an authority or government. Okay, so if you're simply impeding a process, and let's say you're doing so with a peaceful protest in mind, you're not armed, you go in there and you, it's, what's the difference of laying, if stopping the flow of traffic, right? It's the, just because it's a court building, right? We pay for these things. You are, you have the right to be involved in this process. Now, I'm not saying that if you, let's say, pushed in violently or broke the law by getting in there, right? Let's, again, we already saw examples of people in this case being let into this courtroom. Now, yes, the person who did that may have broken a law. But the bottom line, I'm not trying to defend any of this, guys. I'm just trying to be objective and honest about it, is that that isn't an insurrection. It just simply is not. Now, you could point out what hypocrites they are for calling what the people did on January 6th an insurrection while they then turn around and do similar things. Yes, I'll happily point out that disgusting hypocrisy, and I'll call them all ridiculous. But we, th- I, I just can't get past how obvious this has become where both sides make pushback or protest insurrection rather just you're now not allowed to stand up and voice your opinion when it becomes an unpopular political government decision descend on a supreme court justice's house or try to impede the operations of government now by the way i made this point the other day i don't think that's the right thing the right direction to take but if you feel you you, if you disagree it's your right to do so i mean you know going around somebody's house because I just think at the end of the day, that becomes something that can be used against us, especially because what, what's going to happen, in my opinion, is that people will be in anything like that. It's some, somebody out there will either get violent because they're an idiot or because there's some kind of agent provocateur or something will happen that will drive that situation into what they want to make it out to be. Just like we saw at the 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 COVID-19 school board meetings, right? It, it, that's how these things get framed. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. Now, someone in the chat, by the way, please explain to me where I said harassing judges. Right? See, this is how this works. I'm not trying to call you out, maybe, but the point is, words have meaning. Did I say harass judges? I didn't even bring the judge into it. I simply talked about being present at a public area on the street in front of somebody's house. You see how quickly that gets turned, even by people in our chat? This is a problem, guys. Because this is what party paradigm stuff will do. Because you're trying to defend a standing. And the bottom line is you have rights no matter who you are or what side you're on. But the 
the two party paradigm is ruining is is destroying our understanding of that. And I only played this all the way through one last time. End on a Supreme Court justice's house or try to impede the operations of government because there may be a decision you don't like. Uh, that would be considered an insurrection to stop a court from functioning. Uh, and yet they seem to be able to get away with a lot more uh, than if the shoe were on the other foot. I do agree with that. So uh, I think it's been really uh, problematic to watch the behavior there. And lawmakers unanimous. Uh, now, the other point, too, guys, is to remember that what happened on January 6th? Now, you know my coverage on this, on how they were allowed in in almost every circumstance, except for a few examples. And on the bottom, and, and on top of that, yes, there were people that took violent action and people that I argue did break the law. But the point is, did they not s disrupt a congressional process? Yes, they were forced to stop what they were doing. It's the same exact situation. I almost feel like they're going out of their way to make it like an exact replica, but using a Supreme Court versus a congressional room. That's, my, that's what it comes down to. Okay, I'm just just to call just to make it clear. He's saying no, I didn't mean that you said that. My apologies if I took it out of context, Mayday. My point, nonetheless, is that it's important that we're very clear about this. Now, this is not the only one. So we have him before all of this, laying the table, setting the table that when, if, and when that's an insurrection. Okay, well now we're already seeing that take place. Here is another speech from DeSantis, and this is from May, saying the same thing. Excuse me, not forward, but for a little further back. Setting the table was my point. So here's him saying it a little further back. I will say, though, to have that leak out the way it did was really unprecedented. And I think it was um, you know, really an attack on a lot of the justices. I think it was an intentional thing to try to whip up uh, a lot of, uh, of the public, to try to make it very political, potentially try to bully them into changing one of their positions, and that is not something that's appropriate for uh, uh, for the judicial branch. And so I hope, I know they launched an investigation. And this is about the dot, everything coming out about this, right? I don't, I feel like this is entirely on, on, this was part of what they wanted to happen, in my opinion, right? That came out because they wanted us all talking about it, right? So it could build and build and build, and now it happened, exactly in line with the other things that are happening. And now all of a sudden, both sides are terrorists if you choose to stand up. They need to figure out who did that, uh, and they need to hold them accountable because that's a real significant breach of trust. You want Which, guess what, in my opinion, will never happen unless that's necessary to achieve some other goal. To talk about an insurrection, you know, that's a judicial insurrection to be taking that out um, and trying to kneecap uh, a potential majority. Come on, guys. You, you, are we really pretending like this isn't some sort of plan here to insert that term on the other side everywhere possible? So now it's an insurrection against the justice system? What does that even mean? Are you trying to overthrow the one process? Like it just, it's meant to, now it's becoming meaningless. That's part of the point. Now, just to reiterate the chat going back and forth, I again, I do not think I think it's a bad move to do this, to to protest or surround somebody's house in that way because of the way they're already setting this up, guys. But I, I do believe that protest has an effect. I'm a little bit pessimist. I'm a pessimist, a little bit jaded about the process and how they abuse it against us now. But nonetheless, it's clearly something you have a right to do. And if you believe that's the right thing, I support it. I just don't think my opinion would be that's not the right thing. But as long as you're not being violent. You have a right to do so. Yeah, right. It's just saying insurrection is just inflammatory. I agree. But here we have different pundits on the right doing the same thing now. So now, now that it's happened, now that the rulings come out, here he goes, AOC calls for insurrection. 
They, it's like it, they're playing a game, guys, and you and you are the punchline. Okay, she doesn't say insurrection unless there's some part that I didn't see as I, I watched more of this as plenty of other. The point is, she's simply saying, "Here, I'll play it." Oh, you know what? I do think I downloaded this clip. It's a short one. Oh, you know what? I didn't actually because it's just chanting here. Saying this decision is illegitimate, right? And you have a right to say that, right? But why is it illegitimate? This is my point from before. Why is it illegitimate? It's the normal process. They voted and they ruled. It's only illegitimate because you don't agree with what they came to the conclusion of. Which then makes you, I mean, look, if you want to be real about that actual discussion, now I'm not going as far as the ridiculous hyperbolic claim of insurrection, but if you want to get into an argument about people that are not abiding by the process and trying to undermine our democratic process, which is not what's really happening here, that's exactly what this is. Acting like the actual legitimate legal process is illegitimate because you don't agree with the findings or rather the ruling. Let's keep it. Listen, it goes forward. Into the streets. Now, here's another way to look at this, too. And again, please do not take this one as a partisan point, because the argument is that this is going to happen however this spins, because they want you, whatever side you perceive yourself to be on, to be seen as a terrorist, as an insurrectionist, as a as a as you know a, a revolution, if you choose to stand up and push back against anything that's being said, is that if this had been the other way around, had this been the other way, they ruled that it stands. I argue the the Republicans wouldn't have done they, they, it. Continuing the status quo is a hard thing to push back on like this. But my argument would be if it was something in the same vein, if there was an agree a ruling that went against them to the point to where they felt like they were being attacked or however you want to look at that. And they stood up and did exactly this identical stand in the streets, illegitimate with no violent, but just like this, are we really going to pretend that it wouldn't be framed as exactly what they've already framed those situations as white supremacy revolution, right? Whatever terms they use domestic terrorists. Why? Just because they framed them as that. Oh, he's wearing a red hat. Don't you know that's what they are? This is childish level dialogue, guys. We know that's the case, but that's not a two-party point because at the end of the day, it all falls on you no matter what side you're on. Because look at them calling them terrorists right now. Here is John D. posting something. I mean, this, the, I'm not even going to play the beginning of this from some Newsmax ridiculous partisan garbage, but it says, the pointing out what she says here, and this is a this is, is uh, Senator Jean Shahan of New Hampshire attempts to influence the Scottish decision. actually calling for a revolution like insurrection, which I agree with. But the point is simply saying, if you, and to be clear, if you want to see that, then do this. Now, why is that acceptable, right? That, that is on the same par as anybody in the Republican side being called out for being, you know, allowing or promoting what they per- stupidly still call an insurrection by simply saying things like, look, if you want these people to be upset, then then don't do this or do that, which there's plenty of statements like that around the election and the voter fraud. And they point at those and say, look, see, that's what they're causing. Well, what about this then? Here's what she said. I think if you want to see a revolution, go 
go ahead outlaw Roe v. Wade and see what the response is. Um, I think if you want to see a revolution, go ahead outlaw Roe v. Wade and see what the response is. Well, nobody's outlawing Roe v. Wade. I mean, see, this is even, they're, they're, they, maybe the, these people don't even seem to understand what's happening, right? Yes, the, Missouri already took action, it seems, but the point is they're simply handing this down to the states to make their own decisions. See, the average voter who just blindly lists, I shouldn't say that, actually, I take it back. The average voter within the two-party paradigm just blindly listens to what they're told is happening and screams about it on Twitter because they think they're on one side. It's frustrating, isn't it? That's not what's happening. But here, her po the point, back to the point, is revolution. Can you imagine if Trump or anybody else or anybody on the Republican side had said, if you want a revolution, do this? Which, by the way, I think there were similar statements. But first of all, you could argue that that's more hyperbolic. That certainly could be. But even if it's not, they're allowed to say that. Are they not? Is it not free speech? We're not allowed to argue that people will revolt if they get upset. How about just that? How about you just said, man, people are going to revolt if you do that. It's the same terms. It means revolution, right? It's just it's about how they are abusing these terms. And the point on both sides is that what they're doing, let's just, in this case, it does seem pretty clear that they believe they have the right to actually stand up and revolt if this goes a certain way. Now, I'm, that's my opinion. I can't know for sure she feels that way. It'd be stupid to say that because I don't know for sure. But on the other side of it, you can argue there'd be similar people that would feel that way. And if they do take action that breaks the law, well, then there you go. There's already things in place to take action against somebody that violates the law. That's always what I come back to, to make some new law about this or restrict everyone's rights ubiquitously because you claim, you claim some people are doing certain things. That's the illusion. And all of this is meant to do that. This points back to the Disinformation Governance Board. It points back to everything that's being undermined, the gun rights laws, everything. Under the guise that you're all terrorists on either side, you know, flip-flops, today it's them, today it's the next day it's them over there. But what does it change? It continues to allow the rights to be removed. And those apply to everybody. Just because they point at the right when they do that, it still applies to everybody, doesn't it? And this is when they pretend like it's not going to swing back around and hit me because I'm on the good guy side. <laughs> they don't care about any of you. That's the childish, that's the adult Santa Claus thing we have about these people. But it says, Elizabeth Warren calls for insurrection of the U.S. Supreme Court following Roe versus Wade, says dispatches of Lotus Eaters. Here's what she actually says. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, first of all, that's something they've been angling for for decades. Well, sort of like the gun restrictions that the other side has been, right? Well, it's act like it's it, plenty of things that are certain rights that then suddenly change because you've been angling at them. Like it just becomes the right thing because they believe it. But the bottom line is we're going to fight back. And that's being turned into insurrection. So, a politician standing up and saying we're going to fight back against a ruling we disagree with is insurrection? Well, welcome to the United States of freedom, right? Because now you're an insurrection. You're an insurrectionist if you simply stand up and motivate people to take action against something that just happened. Is it political action? Is it violent action? It doesn't even matter. We don't even get into that part of it. You're not allowed to say that. Now, I'm, I'm being hyperbolic, obviously, because that's not the point. Is these people are saying, look at as she calls for insurrection, because that's what people like DeSantis have created. This ridiculous, meaningless statement about what's happening. Here's Big Brother going, calling all patriots, hold the line. The left is calling for an actual revolution insurrection. Now, maybe they are, guys. Maybe that's what's happening. But is it the left? Is it literally every single person that is a Democrat? Or is it some people using this while it's being allowed on both sides? The problem is that if you're stuck in this childish two-party paradigm, you're lost. 
and you will continue to lose because that's how it's meant to go. Question everything, assume nothing. I apparently question everything except people on the right or accept the problem, the two-party paradigm, because the questioning everything applies to everything. It's a problem, guys. I'm watching this happen. And here's Taylor Hudak pointing out, get ready, everyone. Now we get to hear about the importance of bodily autonomy and medical freedom from the same entities that brought us vaccine mandates and demonize those of us who refuse to participate in a medical experiment. Yes, I 100% agree. Now, the problem is this has taken a lot of times a specific partisan point, and in most cases it is. But remember, guys, there were plenty of Republicans that voted for this, that voted for forced injections, that voted for all the things we're talking about. Yeah, they may not stand up and argue about my body, my choice, but it's the same kind of point. This is all being done to you by a government, not one side of a government. That's the reality. But yes, there's hypocrisy to be pointed out here. As I've always pointed out, people on the congressional level, it's not that they don't believe at some point that they are one or the other. My point is that the actual string pullers don't care what side you think you're on. That's what ultimately matters. And as Sam Tripoli points out, if you don't know, now you know. This is pretty hilarious, actually, is that, guess what? When Joe Biden voted to let states overturn Roe versus Wade. I'm, that, I'm sure that won't get much attention, will it? This is from March 29th, 2019. Senator Joe Biden, this is from the New York Times. His changing record on abortion is getting fresh scrutiny as he considers running for president. It's weird how it's not being talked about right now in any of the corporate mainstream platforms and other than the right side, right? When Joe Biden voted to let states overturn Roe versus Wade. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> now, obviously, guys, there's so much more to go into around this conversation. I'm not going to get into, I've gone into the past about my opinions about one way or the other. Let me put this back up real quick. That doesn't matter. The point is, there's obvious points to be made about, you know, people's rights, whether you're individually allowed to make these certain choices or, you know, and so on and so on. I've made my points very clear. I always, always err on the side of personal choice. That's just, that's actual freedom. Now, I do have sort of a contradictory opinion, but that's for me to to feel out about whether I have a problem with life being taken, because I do. That's a, that's a huge conflict for me, because it that's a conversation that I've had many times about whether, you know, where I, I like I said, I always, I at a fault about personal choice. But then from my personal opinion, I, I, I find it to be wrong, both religious as well as anything else. But you see how that works? Even though I do feel that way, I understand that choice is paramount in an actual representative government if we actually pretend that we have that. That's the point. But what I'm talking about today, guys, is not necessarily whether it should be or shouldn't have happened because it doesn't really matter, does it? Because the process is the way it's supposed to go. And you want to pretend we can vote in the next thing, then then pretend, then go put your fairy tale vote in the next box and pretend you can change it the next day. The point is that these things are being used against you. And we are watching actual pushback against the government in any in any sense framed as terrorism, as insurrection, even now just standing up and protesting in a legal space. If it's done with the nut fervor, or if you have the right hats on, oh no, then you're actually a problem. That's where this all seems to go. Now, what I wanted to point out here is that this is really about something much bigger. And even places like the Washington Post back in, uh, what I think it was 2019, made a similar argument, but of course wouldn't happen today. How to fix democracy, the Washington Post writes, well, of course, move beyond two-party system, experts say. Now, of course, I'm not promoting or supporting the Washington Post, but even they are forced to point stuff like this out. Hear what this is saying. 
dissatisfaction with two-party politics as an all-time high. A new Gallup poll shows 62%. Remember that 70% I was just talking about? 62% of Americans saying that Democrats and Republicans are doing such a poor job of representing their constituents that a third party is needed. Yeah, guess what? We have like, there's, I mean, I don't even remember what the last count was. There's like 10 or 12 parties in this country. The problem is that they even write about it as if there's only two. There's the Green Party. I don't, I don't support most any of them because they're all broken. The point is, guys, that it shouldn't be only two things that you talk about because most of this country, as you just heard, represents themselves as independent. But yes, they get forced to vote for the lesser of two evils because that's the way the propaganda campaign conducts itself. That you get pushed into a corner and they go, your vote matters no matter what. And at the last second, they go, nope, it doesn't matter unless you vote for one of these two people. Because they love to contradict themselves in really clumsy ways, as if it's not obvious. But yeah, so only matters you vote for these two, but your vote matters right up until that, no matter what. The problem is that you get forced into that. But the reality is that we all as Americans recognize this is a broken, completely inept system. But the zero-sum winner-take-all dynamics, the Washington Post continues to say, of U.S. elections makes it nearly impossible for third parties to gain electoral traction by design, despite survey data that shows fully fully half of Americans do not identify with any party and label themselves as independents. Right. That's the point. So if most of this country does not represent either of those parties, how is it that for the last two decades or more, when that's been the case, it's continued to only be two parties? Shouldn't that expose the whole damn thing? Well, the point is, guys, because things like this can continue to happen. It's much easier to keep you in an illusion when there's only little places like the UK, where you can listen to them discuss how it's basically the same thing, where the parties are co-opted, it's broken, there's plenty more parties, same kind of illusion. But this is easy with two parties. Even as we continue to write that this is what most people want. Here, this is from from last year, 2021. Now, while all that's happening, here's what Derek Rose is pointing out. Get prepared. Members of the committee could announce, by the way, I've got a great article from him coming out later today, could announce their decision on whether the outbreak constitutes a public health emergency of international concern as early as today. Well, look at that. If they rule on this today, that'll be another very huge story that gets undermined by that two-party illusion discussion. Now, Tedros saying that the spread of the disease cannot be ignored. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Here's the follow-up. I'm going to refresh one of these right now to see. But this is from the UN, monkeypox. Amid uncertainty, the global situation cannot be ignored. And they're going to rule on this today, or could be today. Members of the committee could announce the decision on whether or not the outbreak constitutes a public health emergency. Meanwhile, you know, this is while zero deaths have been reported, mind you. Zero. But it could be a public health emergency, of course. International concern with zero deaths. But meanwhile, Tedros said that the spread of the disease, both in non-endemic and endemic countries, cannot be ignored. Here's their tweet. We can follow this. The first emergency committee meeting regarding the multi-country monkeypox outbreak. And I think this is the one I'm going to try to update. Let's see if there's any recent updates on their Twitter feed. Doesn't look like it. So we're going to go ahead and assume that after the ending of the meeting yesterday that nothing has been concluded. Or at the very least that they just don't want to say it yet. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Here's the actual meeting. Now I want to play. Actually, I don't know if it's loud enough. I stopped. I did this for me. But you guys can. Let's see if you can hear it. Here. I went through a lot of this. It's an hour and 10 minutes. You'll hear repeated at the end that the findings of their experts say that this is not dangerous, that there's no, con- like, very little concern, no more than what would have been before they pretend this is an outbreak, right? Here's what it says. 
or what she says, the, the host. Monkeypox is still, for the general public, is still considered uh, of low risk. Uh, but I think of low risk is what she said. And then uh, the rest of their testimony says the same. Now, this was, li- oh, this is uh, six hours ago. Let me refresh. So, so, yeah, I guess this is still the carrying over, I would argue. So maybe they did carry it over today, nine hours ago. But that's what she, low risk was the finding at the end, low risk. Now, here is what one of the experts who agreed that low risk says, regardless, guidance and public health recommendations. <clears throat> that's just one of them, by the way. And we'll have to wait till they release what they're saying they're going to do. Maybe it'll contradict, just like the FDA, everything they actually find. But nonetheless, here's what it says. Interim advice on risk communication and community engagement during the monkeypox outbreaks in Europe. Minimum data, and this is under health recommendations, minimum data set case reporting form. Survey, and so this is the, your future, by the way. It doesn't matter how minimal. You're, it's all about contact tracing and everything else is what it says next. Surveillance, case investigation, contact tracing for monkeypox. Laboratory guidance for national laboratories, interim guidance on surveillance, case investigation, contact tracing, enhanced readiness for monkeypox in WHO, Sarah region, public health advice for the main, for MSM. Now, I don't know if that means mainstream media. I can't click on it, so we'll have to wait and find out. But it seems to suggest that no matter what they find, even if it's not dangerous, that they're just going to set up the infrastructure. But we'll wait and see. So if somebody knows in the chat, if anything's been ruled on, I was hoping it would happen before we finished the show, but so far, not enough. But here's a couple interesting points on monkeypox. So here is a, some, this Ingrid shared this with me. A New York actor talks about, quote, having monkeypox. But his sexual partner, quote, definitely thought he had it. So not confirmed. Quote, I'm not a reported case. So apparently hasn't even been tested yet. Or rather, if he did, I don't know how that's even possible if there's not public test. So the bottom line is, guys, if you're using some test you got at the store for COVID-19 to argue you're testing for monkeypox, it doesn't make any sense. They're telling people to use PCR. So this guy hadn't been tested, or rather not a reported case. So that means at the very least, he did his own testing. I don't know how that makes sense. And his, his sexual partner thought he had it, which probably triggered the test in its first place. The point is, here's NBC New York reporting. New, York open, New Yorker opens up about contracting monkeypox. Timothy Hickernell opened up about his experience of contracting monkeypox. Right. So it's just a foregone conclusion that he got it. Well, that's ridiculous, isn't it? We can all agree that's ridiculous, which is probably why they already took it down. Oops, can't find that. Too bad somebody saved it on the Wayback Machine. Unfortunately, you can't watch the video here. I bet you could find it somewhere else, maybe on YouTube or whatever other platforms that haven't been censored yet, which probably not YouTube then. But as it says here, New Yorker opens up about contracting monkeypox. The point is, you can listen to it and you get insights, as I did before, and this is what's said. It's not, it's not definitive. So I asked them, I said, hey, NBC, why'd you delete this? Maybe because it was never proven that he even had monkeypox, as if, if, that's, if that's even what we're talking about, and it was completely subjective. But she posted the article anyway as contracting monkeypox, hashtag sonographers, probably. I mean, and again, back to the disinformation point. This is allowable. As long as it's pro whatever the narrative is, it doesn't really matter to them. And you can look this up for yourself. Actor Timothy Hinkle opened up about his experience. That's their direct statement from their post. But all you find is the two NBC posts. Rather, the one, really. It looks like they changed it once. There's 23 hours later. And then deleted it because it's definitely not there. 
So maybe they tried to alter something quickly to change what was being said. The bottom line is, guys, this is ridiculous. This is the kind of garbage you get from the corporate media. And they just delete it and move forward, and nobody calls them out other than us. Independent media, I mean. Regardless of this absurd situation where it's not even really definitively proven that's what we're dealing with, and there's plenty of experts that are calling this out, and we're using a PCR test to argue that it's happening, which is ridiculous from the very beginning, seeing as how it's not the right test for this, as any of the experts involved with the creation and the use of it are telling you. And that's one of a real obvious example of how this has created illusions in the past, going back to uh, to whooping cough in 2007 or just COVID-19 in general, as we've admitted there's false positives. But how about just the fact that there's plenty of other things that are being caused that look like that, like seven different examples of side effects. The current injection being given clearly look just like that. Plenty of them. And I've made this case in the show. But for that point aside, how about just ask yourselves why with zero deaths with something that they admit is not dangerous? Is there a high demand for monkeypox vaccines in New York City? That seems a little bit weird, isn't it? How about the fact that what they're giving is, in fact, a smallpox vaccine, which is shown on the CDC website to not be safe and effective against monkeypox? That's their statement still right now. But yet they're standing in line for this outside, right? In-demand vaccine in town isn't for COVID. It's for monkeypox. My friend texted our group today at like 1130 this morning with this news, and I happened to be at a computer. So I said, oh, let me just grab whatever I can right now and hope for the best. Hail McSherry. Right. So that's a blind trust in the statement. Get it because they said so. Got it. I'll review right there. I mean, really? Are we really not going to have more insight into? In, I mean, how about you go back and understand the real discussions being had of the homosexual community around the HIV discussion and a lot of the things that were being discussed around the testing and experimentation of that whole dynamic? Are they really that uninformed that they can't understand what's already taken place in the past? Or the reality that this is completely, as their own set website points out, not proven to be effective at the very least against this thing they say is happening. And whether or not it's safe is something that they themselves call into question. But because what, the benefits outweigh the risks? You mean the risks that aren't currently there? You mean the fact that this no one has died and they themselves say it's not dangerous? So why would you take something that we don't know if it's even safe for something that they say is not dangerous? I mean, guys, this is off the this is more off the rails than a COVID-19 conversation. And I'm pointing to their own statements from the CDC. But here they are in line for it. We managed to snag a coveted appointment at the Chelsea Sexual Health Clinic, the only spot in the city administering monkeypox vaccines. The CDC sent 1000 doses and the clinic is booked solid through Monday. You know, if I had a nickel for every time I've had to go through the stress of trying to find a vaccine for an illness that I'm afraid of getting in the recent years, I'd have two nickels, uh, but it's too many, and I'd love to uh, get it over with as soon as possible and hopefully nip it in the bud. Richard Chow wasn't so lucky. He couldn't get a walk-in appointment, but he will be back. The plan is to come back tomorrow. They open at 11, so the volunteer here told us to come back at 10. Um, we're going to try again. It turns out New Yorkers are traveling to great lengths, literally, to protect themselves. Because Montreal opened up vaccination. Protect themselves from what? I mean, let's be, are we trusting the science? Are we listening? I mean, even the corporate media is reporting that this is not dangerous. There's been no deaths. It's very minimal. Contracting it from human to human is basically impossible, according to what they're reporting. Now, could it change? Yes, possible. Anything's possible. But why are we jumping to the idea that any, like, just because it could maybe one day be dangerous, we're going to take something that's not safe and doesn't have any effect on this? I mean, this is just ridiculous. This is the uh, this is the diametric opposite of even what they claim is trusting the science. They're not even listening to the corporate media anymore. But apparently vaccine good, no matter what. Isn't that what we've been saying from the beginning? No matter what, no matter what.
earlier, about a week ago, people in New York City were going up to Montreal just to get the vaccine. There's a desperate demand for it. Manhattan Borough President Mark Levine says the city is working with the CDC. This feels a bit like propagandization, like you know, pushing the idea that, look, they're scared. Shouldn't you be scared? I don't buy for a second that people are knocking down doors to get this at all. I think this is just a, a, a pushing the idea personally. But nonetheless, it's quite ridiculous, isn't it? to secure more doses ASAP. State Senator Brad Hoyleman says he's reached out to New York's health department as well. He's asking at-risk individuals, primarily men who have sex with other men, to be careful. Nobody wants to get into why that even makes sense. If you watch the discussion of what they had on, on the, 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 dang it, what was it? The, uh, I was just talking about it, the UN, the UN meeting. I was trying to remember the name of the, the, the group. What was it? Did they even post a name? It says the World Health Organization's Emergency Committee. I guess that's just the Emergency Committee. That if you watch the whole thing and actually get into what they're discussing, they ask these questions, right? They get into the discussion of why. Why is it only supposedly gay men, people who have sex with men? And there, there's no real explanation. They don't even, I mean, the, the first thing I would say is maybe because it's a you know blood transmission, and that's, that was the classic argument in regard to HIV. But nope, they just go right past it. They're just like, well, because skin-to-skin contact. That's what she argues. And I'm so why is it only specifically, or at least what they say, specifically people that have sex with men? I mean, it just it, it seems like a weird couched argument that is gonna make more sense as we go forward. But even that was called into question around the HIV AIDS conversation, but here we are all over again. Careful, especially this coming weekend. This is pride and Let's be realistic. Uh, there's going to be a lot of contact um, among men. I mean, what what is he? So what you're making a, like a joke about men, they, it's pride. So they're all going to be having sex, apparently. Like, that's what he literally just insinuated. Like, do, Why are you people out there in this community allowing these idiots to talk about you? Why don't you? I mean, maybe I should take that back. Maybe you aren't. Maybe because maybe that's the point. Maybe they're standing here acting like they're talking about you and acting like you all agree. And you don't just like the false majority I'm pointing out everywhere else. So there you go. Right. But come on, guys, that's, that's insulting, and it should be, because these people are clowns. Right, I'm going to leave it there because I'm tired of watching these people talk. But the bottom line is, guys, this is ridiculous. Based on their own data, this doesn't make sense. But they're going to keep pushing it, and we damn well know that. And here is one of the most ridiculous parts of all. We saw this around COVID as well. Having How to have sex with monkeypox. We're already, we're already there, apparently. CDC releases bizarre guide telling patients to, quote, keep their clothes on. That was a COVID-19 discussion. Or apparently masturbate, masturbate six feet apart away from your partner. That's it. <laughs> right? Oh, so don't reproduce? Got it. That's not part of the discussion, is it? Well, here's the high wire pointing out, quote, 72 cases of monkeypox across 18 states in the last month, making it the country's largest monkeypox outbreak ever. This is from the CDC, or rather NBC New York. CDC issues guidance on monkeypox symptoms. So we're talking 72 cases in 18 states. No death. This shouldn't even be a conversation. Then, to finish this last, or actually two points before we get into a really interesting conversation around the origin that's coming from Dr. Uh, Bailey, as well as the UK column, which great doing a great job. I want to give a specific shout out for him and get to it because one of the only other people other than Corbett that I see that really cites all of their source material but here's a, here's an interesting discussion. Remember this conversation that I I don't know whether I feel this is a intentional 
is it a red herring when you use that term or basically setting a narrative that they want you to dive after, which is, and that's meant to drive you into a rabbit hole, drag you into a rabbit hole that it leads nowhere. I don't know if that's what this is meant to be, or if this is a story that it's actually part of an origin that's being covered up. I really don't know. But what's interesting is that nobody's talking about it. However you want to look at that. Remember when the, with the whole monkeys, I, I made this point the other day about the monkeys being trans transported and escaping right before all this started. It's just pretty stupid. It almost sounds like a movie, right? Now, it could be that simple. And they're just trying to cover up their clumsy, their malfeasance everywhere else. But what's interesting is here, a woman claims she's sick after carrying hissing monkey that escapes a truck in Pennsylvania. We talked about this back in January. January 2022. Which is very, very weird that this is getting basically no discussion unless it's what they want. That this is like, it could be just as likely that this is literally not even happening. And this is meant to make you think that it has an origin in reality, so you dive down that rabbit hole. That was my point. But let's listen to what they were saying about this. It's very interesting. It's only a minute and a half, or a minute and 50 seconds, in regard to the CDC, monkeys posed a public health risk. It's very interesting. Three of the monkeys that escaped Friday night after a crash in Montour County were euthanized. Federal officials confirmed that information, but that raised... Three of them, by the way. So there's one unaccounted for. Even more questions. News 16 Stacy Lang lays out new information from the CDC regarding the decision to have the monkeys put down. It was a Friday rush hour fender bender many of us won't soon forget. A truck hauling 100 monkeys collided with a dump truck outside Danville and three of the monkeys got out. That set off an hours-long monkey hunt in the woods that included state troopers, the State Department of Health, and officials from the Centers for Disease Control. The CDC later confirmed that the three monkeys were humanely euthanized when they were found. Many of you wondered why. A uh, little three-pound monkey doesn't scare me, but why are they so concerned about it is what concerns me. Here's what the CDC tells us now about the monkeys. They're a breed called macaques, and they arrived in the U.S. last week from Mauritius, a country in eastern Africa. They were being taken from New York City to a CDC-approved quarantine facility. We do not know where the surviving monkeys will go after they're quarantined. The three that escaped posed a health risk. Well, I guess there's more. I, I thought I remember the story being four, but I guess apparently there's more of them, right? I mean, just while it says I paused it, I mean, are we really going to pretend like this is this is not like why wouldn't this be an obvious discussion? We're literally talking about monkeypox, and we're talking about monkeys that are used to be tested on at BSO four labs in the CDC with things like this, and they're being trans transported. They escape. A woman says she gets sick from one. <laughs> And then right after that, we have a conversation about this over time. I mean, it just it either, like I said, it either seems like a ridiculous movie style narrative that's pushed over this to hide something else, or it's a possible origin. I mean, I, something tells me that seems ridiculous, but because it does seem like almost like right out of a movie, doesn't it? Risk to the public, CDC officials told us today. McCakes can pass deadly viruses to humans. So the state police, the State Department of Health, and the CDC decided together that it was best to euthanize the animals. Newswatch 16 did speak to a woman. So I don't understand that. So you gain control of them back and then euthanize some of them because they could bite people, but you just got control of them again, right? You, you got them and then killed them. So why are you killing them if it's they're no longer a risk to people that are out there? What this is? This doesn't even add up, guys. 
right? Like, so you, why wouldn't you kill all of them if that's the case? Because they're all still capable of biting people. Because obviously it's not about the fact that they could bite people because they now have control of them. It seems like a childish argument. So three of them are put down for some unknown and undisclosed reason. And one person apparently got sick from one of them. But yeah, nothing to see here, right? ...who came in contact with some of the other monkeys right after the crash. She says the CDC asked her to watch out for cold symptoms. We checked in with her today and she hasn't had any. The driver transporting the monkeys received a ticket from state police and continued on his way. Stacy Lang, News Right. I mean, it does. It does. I mean, I, something about this I don't trust. I mean, everything, it seems. Right. It, 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 like it, if you want to discuss the, the origin conversation or is it terrain theory, germ theory conversation, like all of this seems like a very easy couched argument. But I leave it to you to come to your own conclusions, as always. That's interesting. It really is to see. And again, don't forget that even though they're saying, well, well, we talked to her. She didn't have anything. Well, that's not what seems to be happening. We've multiple reports came out where she claims she's sick. And then it got really weirdly suppressed. The woman's pink eye was so bad that she checked herself into an emergency room. Now, could that be connected? I don't, I don't know. The bottom line is it's interesting, the correlation of the timing of it all. Which brings us to the origin conversation, which I think is really important. This is a few minutes, so just let's, let's go into this. And here's the where it's stemming from, monkeypox mythology. And this is from Dr. Sam Bailey. By the way, UK column news. Some it's a place that you should definitely follow. I don't shout them out enough because we do similar things and it's a long con form content, which is hard for me to absorb when I'm doing the same thing. But look, at, I don't know anybody else other than Corbett that really, truly cites every single thing that they talk about, which, by the way, there's some really stupid people on Twitter that are attacking that idea as if it means a bad thing. <laughs> right. Look at all these Twitter links and everything. It's all garbage. It's like, yes, I cite everything that I talk about as if that's a bad thing which included in that is the peer-reviewed science that they pretend isn't there. Pretty typical, right? But this is really important because, as usual, the story we're told isn't the full story when the government's doing the telling. A lot about monkeypox. So, uh, Mystery Theater, this edition is going to be the origins of monkeypox. Let's find out where monkeypox actually came from because a lot of people don't know it's all a bit mysterious and murky here so let's go into some science mystery theater and find out now i'm uh, looking at the research on this monkeypox mythology this is an article by dr sam and mark bailey husband and wife team from new zealand and this is a fantastic actually a stunning uh, bit of research here in terms of scientific and biological research we see a lot of familiar actors in here so i'm going to point people to this article that's on Dr. Sam Bailey's website. There's a URL as well that you can visit. But uh, obviously, there's links to all of the CDC papers and the research that charts the history of monkeypox and the science as well. But let's take a closer look at that. The origins of monkeypox. What do we know about monkeypox? First discovered in 1958, two outbreaks of pox-like diseases in colonies of monkeys kept for research. First human cases. Recorded in 1970 in the Democratic Republic of Congo, in humans, the symptoms of monkeypox are similar but milder than the symptoms of smallpox. So the implication is that these are two related uh, diseases or related uh, viruses. So they go on. In Africa, monkeypox has been shown to cause death in as many as one in 10 people who contract the disease. That's an alleged case fatality rate, I suppose, of 10%. You've probably seen that, yes, widely, seen that widely quoted. Yes. Which, by the way, is immediately disproven 
if they're arguing these are monkeypox cases by the fact that none of them have died. So either it's not, or it's not even there, or they're lying about the percentage. But you see, these things don't change. They're still, as they keep pointing out, they keep citing that number. That's what you're going to hear in the news because until we don't, like the argument is always like, well, we don't know for sure. Therefore, we're going to keep citing the thing we know isn't true. Sort of how like in Yemen, the argument was, well, there's only been 10,000 people that have died there for a decade because then it turned out that the reporting system installed nine years ago and they just go, oh, well, we just kept pointing out the number that we knew. So you knew you were lying because you didn't have new updated information. And instead of telling us we didn't have the full information, you just kept citing the old broken number. That's obviously by design. For those that don't follow the Yemen story, that may not make sense, but it's the same point, right? You know that's not true based on the real world example of what we're dealing with, but you keep citing 10% because, well, we don't know. And in reverse, they would do the opposite if it's not something they want you to see. It's all subjective. So that is uh, where that comes from. It's from the CDC's document. There's a URL at the bottom of the page if you want to screenshot that and learn more from the CDC's documents themselves or get it from uh, Dr. Sam and Mark Bailey's uh, article. But historically, monkeypox has been virtually unheard of in the first world countries. And rare cases are usually in people that have recently arrived from Africa. Very rare. So no one's really seen any outbreaks. There's been one alleged outbreak before this latest scare. Well, there were two in the UK, 2017 and 2018, but it was two or three people in each case. So it really wasn't an outbreak. You couldn't describe it as an outbreak. Yeah, well, we couldn't back then, but now it's now it's, yeah, it's, okay. it's, now it's an outbreak. Some people is an <laughs> outbreak point. now, apparently. So only recorded outbreaks of monkeypox in the first world. The main one we're talking about here is 2003 in the United States. We'll break that down in a second. Cases declared in six states said to be caused by African prairie dogs, or these are rodents, yeah. uh, we presume, that were imported to Texas from Ghana. So apparently they went from monkeys to, to prairie uh, prairie dogs, African prairie dogs, and then somehow jumped uh, to humans. So that's the uh, claim there by the CDC. Who are the monkeypox? So the CDC has the origins of monkeypox story copyrighted, and they own this story. So person-to-person spread of the virus is thought to occur principally between the uh, or orophageal uh, exudates. I guess that's inflamed tonsils, and although it's clear that this has never been scientifically established. So that's a... As with most everything in these conversations, it's all run on expert assumption. Hypothesis. So again, we're, we're taking this directly from the academic literature that's cited in the CDC. Which, by the way, to elaborate that quickly, is I'm not saying it's not something you should dismiss. I mean, experts are experts for a reason, but not always, <laughs> right? We've seen that COVID-19 thing, COVID-19 really blow up that argument. There's plenty of experts that are just doing what they're paid to do and told to do. And that's just human nature. But there's plenty of them that are very talented people that may be misguided or maybe they see the whole picture. The point is experts you should listen to. Pretty clear, right? Same thing they would argue. But the problem is you're not supposed to blindly trust them either. That's the thing they don't want you to think about, right? Listen, trust your betters. Well, what about the thing we first said? Couldn't they be wrong? Historically, that's true. Obviously. So it's stupid to trust anybody in this context. Doesn't mean that you should know better necessarily. You might but you shouldn't blindly follow them because if it hasn't been scientifically established and you're just listening to what Fauci said is the case, well, then you don't really know. You're just following. And you may not have the ability to find out for yourself, but you then leave it with a question mark. That's the reality that we need to be okay with, that we don't have the answers to everything. And it's okay to walk away saying, I don't know. But today, that's part of the two-party illusion problem. They've pitted you in a position where you have to choose a side. 
So if you either pick Fauci or you pick the other side, no, you walk away going, I don't trust any of them. And I don't know for sure. But we've been put in a position where that's not okay, apparently. Like it makes people uncomfortable to not walk away picking an answer, not finding an answer, picking an answer. Uh, report, and that is the story of the origin. So here's where it gets really interesting. The virus is thought to have been transmitted from African animals, monkeys to rats or prairie dogs uh, to humans. So individuals had illnesses uh, onset within 21 days after exposure of the monkeypox virus. 21 days is quite interesting to me. Alleged monkeypox virus were classified as having a probable case of infection. Probably. So it just starts to get murky. So conclusion, preliminary conclusion here, loose criteria and effect. They're maybe being accused here of pathologizing a normal state of illness or right. could be a number of other things. The symptoms tend to mirror about 100 different other illnesses. So it's very, like COVID, it's very difficult to distinguish between uh, or to say specifically what you might have uh, because there's so many other things that have the same thing. Now, this is very interesting. The CDC's weekly reports in 2003, this is the big outbreak, stated that out of 71 cases, only two patients, both children, had serious clinical illnesses. Both of these patients have had recovered. This was back in 2003. Yeah, but let's keep citing 10% death rate, right? Because clearly that's not true. 71 cases, nobody died. Only two of them got sick, seriously ill. Both were kids, by the way, and they recovered. That's the big 2003 outbreak they point at to make that. So, so what are we talking about? This is very clearly not something that should be even taken up the airways, especially when they claim we're in the biggest pandemic of a century. Why is this being focused on? Didn't, isn't COVID the big danger? It's, none, of the, none of it makes sense. It's just about keeping the narrative flowing. Now, you can disagree with that, but you have to acknowledge that this is not what they're telling you it is. It doesn't look like a case fatality rate of 10%. It doesn't. And this is the problem. This, that, that's the, connect, the disconnect on this. But, right. but what about the case fatality rate? In Africa, they don't match up. So this is the last big outbreak. So everything that we, our health agencies, say and know about monkeypox is based on the 2003 uh, outbreak in the United States that was chronicled and documented by the CDC. So that's literally our whole story on monkeypox is based on that. We're breaking down that story for you right now. And we're asking the question, um, is this a real thing? Um, is this a real uh, sort of pandemic uh, potential uh, pathogen? And don't forget, guys, there's plenty of experts. And uh, experts, I'm talking about people that are, the, the, what, whatever you would, like. I forget the actual term of the person we're talking about, virologist, I believe, but a person whose focus is on monkeypox. Right, a person that studies these things in the lab is there. These are the people that have openly discussed how they believe, some of them, not all of them, that these things are being conflated. That in fact, when you really dive into it, you find out that smallpox, monkeypox, cowpox, horsepox, they're all the same thing. Chickenpox, different forms, variations, and so on, but it's all the same thing. So to frame those different things in general to give different vaccinations is all an illusion. Sound familiar? It's very interesting. Variants and different conversations. I mean, we, we've seen this happen before. Now, then you could take it even further and argue that these things aren't there to begin with. And you'd have a fair argument to make based on what we're seeing. So let's go a little bit further. Individuals who contracted the monkeypox uh, were infected by prairie dogs, allegedly. There's no human-to-human -human transmission was documented between these people. That is very odd. Yeah. So we're told it's very it contagious. It's spreading across the Northern Hemisphere. We all need to get vaccinated. And here is the last major outbreak on record. This is the science. 
and no human-to-human transmission recorded during that okay. time. All came from the prairie dogs. Very strange, isn't it? Anyway, it gets weirder. They admitted that in, uh, to including that the analysis were limited to incomplete reporting or recall of information by patients. And because of the retrospective nature of this study, we were unable to obtain highly detailed data. Wow. The science just gets weaker and weaker. And, and, and understand, the, the analyses were limited to incomplete reporting or recall of information by patients. Well, doesn't that sound weirdly similar to the NBC story? They just retracted or quietly deleted without comment about the person claiming they got it based on symptoms, based on perceived situations. I mean, they're setting this up all over again. Again, whether this becomes that next COVID thing or not, I, I'm, I'm still on the fence about it. Because this could just fall off the map tomorrow and we would never talk about it again, which says everything. Or, as we see, if the WHO pushes in, this could be the next thing just as easy as anything else. But it's all based on a house of cards, a, a house on sand, guys. That's what we're staring at. But it doesn't even matter because it's going to jump to the next part and we're going to jump into the situation where they're going to start calling you a terrorist and, you know, put you're killing people by not acknowledging that we're all in danger. And that's and it's right back at square one. The deeper you dig into this, and Dr. Sam and Mark Bailey have done a brilliant job of this. Now, here is the evidence. This is, the CDC has provided this electron micrograph static image of what is dead tissue. And they claim that uh, that's on the right-hand side, that's monkeypox. And on the left-hand side is some mature virons. You know what that tells you right there? That it wasn't isolated. By the truest definition of the word, which everyone tries to have a whack, you know, per opinion about today, but it's very easy to point out. That's what the tr- the people that are standing their ground are making clear with the discussion of Koch postulates and everything else. Actual isolation, you're not not in a petri dish full of other things. And oh, it's in there, it's right there, I can see it. Well, if you didn't technically isolate it, then you don't know for sure. That's the point. The same thing we saw with the rest of them. That's basically uh, electro um, uh, electro. Uh, micrograph photography. Yeah. Okay. So, and so can you really draw any conclusions about the biological role based on these imaged particles? And the answer is uncertain. It's, it's unclear. So again, that's the whole monkeypox story. So that let's look at the diagnosis. Ah, here we go. Exactly. They diagnosed uh, the samples based on. That should be a PCR test. The PCR test. Ah, Oh yeah. For those watching it's they accidentally wrote PRC. It's PCR. The bottom line is PCR test, right? We know that. The PCR test is how these illusions continue. That's been made very clear. I think I'm going to leave it there just for this time. Rather than vague and unproven hypothesis by the CDC. Yeah, this, they do a great job, guys. I really hope you'll give them more time and, and check out their work as well. This is, at the very least, completely up in the air, but that's not how the corporate media is reporting it which should make you really alarmed. Here's the actual Rumble video if you'd like to watch it yourself. Here's Sam Bailey's discussion in depth. You can read it for yourself should you want to. And I highly recommend you do. Do an outstanding work. Now, on to the CDC, Bayer's discussion, and a couple more points to wrap this up, which will probably take another 30, 40 minutes. <laughs> People love when they say, oh, finally, lasting. Oh, wait, more, more points to get into. Josh points out, new FOIA release shows the CDC lied about its Bayer's safety monitoring efforts to the absolute lack of shock to our community, right? The reason they never found any safety signals is because they didn't look for them. They claimed absence of evidence was evidence of absence. I like that phrase, actually. Now, 
Here's the problem with the way that the community works out there. Well, whoa, you some Substack? You believe some Substack? No, I don't at all. In fact, I look at the Substack, as you guys well know. I read into it, and I actually look for the source material. You know, the FOIA request documents you can link to for yourself and read with the post of what those FOIA requests actually say coming directly from the CDC. Right. So when people on Twitter go, oh, you post on a Substack because they don't want to look at it, they don't understand that this is not just a Substack or that posting a Twitter link that within it has more information is not. This is the problem, though, because they're so quick to dismiss things that they don't want to look at. And that's supposed to be research. As if you are only posting a Twitter post or a Substack or a Facebook post. It's how they misrepresent your stance. This is important because this is a FOIA release. And the links are in here to the actual information you can check for yourself. And the point is, this is not something that's new. This is important because they've already been caught for this. What you're seeing here is the information that makes very clear that they never even looked into what they pretended they had looked into and dismissed. As it says, it turns out the CDC wasn't even looking for safety signals. Yes, this is his reporting about the FOIA request. They say they were going to use the most basic standard pharmacovigilance method by calculating what are called proportional reporting ratios, or PRRs, to monitor fares. But it turns out they didn't. And then they turned around and said they weren't seeing any safety signals in VAERS, which we've heard them say. They forgot to mention that they weren't looking for any. They took a page from the pharma playbook. They looked, they didn't, they don't, they don't look for safety problems, then claim the absence of evidence is evidence of absence. Now you can see their breakdown of these, the, what the explaining what PRR, PRRs are and what they mean and when this is them claiming what they were going to do. That's why the, the photo is there. And it says, at my request, the amazing legal team at the Children's Health Defense submitted a FOIA request to CDC asking for copies of weekly tables they said would produce from February 1st to September 30th, 2021. Copies of all tables, analyses, and reports generated in connection with signal detection analyses as described in sections 2.3, 2.5, and the SOP document, standard operating procedure, from those time periods. Well, guess what? In their response letter, they state that no PRRs were conducted by CDC. That's from the CDC's own response. That data mining, quote, is outside of the agent's purview. Seriously. Even though their own standard operating procedure documents from January stated they would do data mining. Their response letter goes on to say that the agency has conducted signal assessments as described in Section 2.5. That assessment involved no formal records. Again, posting out that you can read what they're saying. So then when kind, uh, what kind of records did it involve? People chatting about all the vaccine injuries over drinks at work? I mean, it's, it's a good question to ask. The point being... If it wasn't formal, what was it? Are they pulling Twitter posts? How do they, I mean, if it's not, this is the problem about this. They're not doing it is the point. The CDC's budget in 2021 was over $8 billion. But guess what? They received other supplemental funding because, you know, COVID for a total budget of over $34 billion from your pocket. What are they doing with all that money if they're not tracking the information? One thing we now know for sure, they aren't using it to monitor safety of vaccines as they promised. And here's the point. I made the argument they don't have the resources to do so. That's why they got lots of resources, not because I made the argument, because that was something people pointed out. So they got this resources or the resources. Now, I still point out that even $34 billion to one, continue to run the agency and then to literally track down, conduct autopsies, research records of every single report that's ever been done, which is over 2 million. Again, not possible. But nonetheless, they still got $34 billion. 
and didn't do any effort to do so. They told us the data monitoring that they were doing was rigorous and unprecedented. We reported that they said that. They said they were going to use the most rudimentary pharmacovigilance tool, which is the PRRs, to safety monitor. They lied. But it says the depths of the CDC safety monitoring failure doesn't stop there. We requested the weekly tables they promised to produce beginning February 1st, since the SOP document was dated January 29th. So they were supposed to start immediately, but the first table they supplied was dated April 2nd. That means they only started monitoring or only released the monitoring from that date forward, which was VAERS data from three months after the vaccines were deployed in mid-December. So much for VAERS being used as an early warning system. So either they released only that data, which means they violated the FOIA request, or they released what they were supposed to, which was everything, and it proved that they didn't do any monitoring before April 2nd. You, you pick your crime, your choice. They also said they were going to produce no less than eight different tables every single week. Those tables were listed here. Top 25 adverse events, all reporting about vaccine severity, based by manufacturer brand name, reports of all the adverse events following them based on age, COVID de- reports of death, disease, anaphylaxis, shock, seizure, Guillain-Barre syndrome. None of that's happening. Reporting And ask yourself why they were so focused on multi-system inflammatory syndrome in adults before this all started. And now they act like multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children is totally unrelated to the vaccine. And it's all about that COVID, right? Except you were looking for that in adults before this started. Isn't that interesting? Reporting and trends of of following those after vaccination with COVID vaccines, stratified by reports, Kawasaki disease, multi-system inflammatory in children, which again, by the way, is right there. They're, They're tracking these things before and then they're blaming it on COVID afterward vaccination during pregnancy, all these different things, autoimmune disorders, all these are supposed to be different tables they were going to track. They promised this before. But guess what? Afterward, their weekly reports included only two tables. So they broke a promise right there. But but it says the one table that lists the number of deaths reported, serious non-deaths reported, non-serious reports, and all reports by state. A second table that reports the data listed above for tables five, three through five by age. Missing is a table with Adverse events broken down by manufacturer. Shocking. They don't have table two at all. The group promised for table four are completely different. And the information promised for table six is above is non-existent, including no information on autoimmune diseases. I wonder why, seeing as how they're literally causing things just like that. But hey, according to the FDA's VRBPAC, which is the community, the group that's supposed to be in checking for these things before they're released, they are as safe as ordinary childhood vaccines, they say. He says, I mean, VAERS isn't showing any safety signals, right? But there's still more digging to do. The CDC response letter and the standard operating procedure documents say that the FDA did do data mining, which is interesting, seeing as how above they said that wasn't their purview. But it says, so we will be filing a FOIA request, he will, with FDA for that information as well. So we'll keep track of it. We're also going to try to get informal signal detection assessment documents by email that they have. So if all the argument is, is we outsourced the FDA's, the mining to them, they still violated their promise. And that would still argue that they're not showing people that data or not doing that. No, people who are willing to defend the CDC's negligence will tell you that the PRRs are outmoded, outmodeled, and, and the CDC is now using more sophisticated methods using other data sources like the vaccine safety data link. Well, you, that you could, as it even says here, you could make that argument. But isn't that a goalpost move? Yes. Same thing as saying, well, you know, Koch's postulates is outdated and archaic. Well, fine. That's not what you were saying right before this started and acting like that's the gold standard to be modeled after. But then the moment that it be, and by the way, plenty were making that argument beforehand. 
but people in general, you know, in the mainstream argument were the ones holding that. And then suddenly when it wasn't being met, you go, well, it's outdated. The question is, is it still the gold standard? Yes. So you can't then go, well, it's outdated. Well, you can make that statement, but you can't pretend by not meeting it. It therefore doesn't matter anymore. The moment that you tried to meet it and failed. If it didn't matter, why'd you try to meet it? Because they did. And I've made that point clear. The point here is that they're saying, well, it's outdated. The PRRs don't make sense anymore. So we should use this instead. Well, then why did they say they would do it and then failed to do so? And it only becomes outdated when you realize they didn't even try. But it says all of that is irrelevant to the key point. They stated they were going to calculate the PRRs. They even say that they would in their revised standard operating procedure document dated February 2nd, 2022. And they still didn't. It completely failed to capture the myocarditis signal. The point is that the system they're pointing to as the the reason the PRRs are outdated or that they should transition from the vaccine safety data link. Their point is it didn't pick up myocarditis, did it? Neither one of them did because they're ignoring VAERS, which did pick up the myocarditis signal. But the system they're using in lieu of that, as if it's outdated, is the system we was pointed at and they did not or they ignored it. However you look at it. Obvious that's a problem. It was fake news when it started. Not even, not even there. Utter fake news. You're misinforming people. Then it became, well, it's super, super, super rare. Then it again kept stepping back to where now we'll get to the next point in regard to how it actually is much more serious than they ever let on. One that somebody was bleeding about in the Twitters that I, Twitter back and forth conversations today that I just don't have patience for. Peers, peer-reviewed science that they pretend isn't there, as usual, the incidence of myocarditis and pericarditis in post-COVID-19 unvaccinated patients. The bottom line is they find, and I'll point this out again in a minute, that there is no association with myocarditis or pericarditis from people post-COVID-19. Very clear, peer-reviewed. Then it goes on to say, we did not observe an increased incidence of either pericarditis or myocarditis in adult patients recovering from COVID-19 infection. And the point is that if you have zero correlation between COVID-19 and myocarditis, then it's quite obvious that the risk you're gaining from the injection is more. Zero is less than everything. One or two or three or any number is more than zero. So if you're claiming, as they have admitted to, that there is an increased risk of increased risk of myocarditis after the shot, and they're telling you based on their peer-reviewed science that there is no increased risk after COVID-19, well, that's a pretty fair and obvious thing to point out, that the increased risk of the vaccination COVID myocarditis risk is more than COVID. Therefore, you have a higher risk from that taking the injection. It's pretty basic based on this peer-reviewed science. Now, there could be other science that comes out that contradicts that, and we can talk about that too, but you cannot ignore the peer-reviewed science that says that just because you found something you like better. Anybody honest would look at all of it. Now, I've showed you the other studies, even the CDC, that makes the argument that there more, there's more risk here or less there. And I've showed you why those are unsound, in my opinion, but I've talked about them and I've discussed it. The bottom line is, even Israel and plenty of other places are finding the same thing. But, you know, la, 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 I don't want to see it. Plug your ears, stomp your feet. But we'll get back into this. We'll come back to it in a second. Final point here, updated in this article. On April 27, 2021. Walensky from the CDC stated the CDC did not see any safety signals related to heart inflammation. Remember that? Okay, so we know that's the case. So however you want to look at this, they either lied to you, ignored information, which I guess is sort of the same thing, or don't know what they're looking at, I guess, or used a system that didn't find it. 
and we know Bayer's did. I'll show you next. But a PRR calculation using the number of myopericarditis reports listed in the first table produced by the CDC obtained by FOIA request reveals, guess what, guys? Clear and unambiguous safety signals relative to the comparative vaccines mentioned in the briefing document. You know what that means? That means they did see it. They did. Even with their system that they're ignoring, using to ignore Bayer's, they did see it. They knew it was there, and they ignored it anyway. And whether Walensky's just doing what she's told and didn't even look at it or saw it and lied to you about it, they're all part of an illusion. It's obvious these are safety signals because, look, we can see it happening now. And the point is, and the the data is all right here, guys. You can read all the FOIA request data. You can read it for yourself. You can dive through the information posted by the CDC and confirm it came from them and realize that they did admit this. In fact, it says among the 15 adverse events for adults included in that week's tabulations, the PRRs that he calculated for you and you can read for yourself also show loud and clear safety signals for acute myocardial infarction, anaphylaxis, appendicitis, Bell's palsy, coagulopathy, multi-system inflammatory syndrome in adults, and stroke and death. But nothing to see here, right? They're caught, guys. I mean, this is what it gets. This is what gets so ridiculous. Is this open, blatant criminal activity? They are ignoring the reality of the risk, and in fact, not just ignoring it, but coming out and saying you're not in danger. Not saying, well, well, the benefits outweigh the risk. You could even get away with that by claiming that the benefits are so much better than the risk we're pointing out. That's not true. They're just going. It's not. There's nothing. We don't see any safety signals. Well, here's one of the ones I just recently pointed out, <clears throat> and yes. For all the trolls out there, even though you're going to plug your ears when I say this, it's a preprint server, as I said last time. Serious adverse events of special interest following mRNA vaccination in randomized trials, which, by the way, include people like Peter Doshi, who is, at least I believe he was, it's not listed, so I'm assuming maybe they, he's no longer the senior editor of the British Medical Journal, but a highly regarded individual. University of Maryland School of Pharm- Pharmacy. Peter Doshi is a highly regarded expert. And yes, this is a study, despite the ignorant comments online, where they have an abstract introduction results and discussion around the data that they're, they're investigating. Now, it doesn't just because it's a study does not mean that it's what people who stupidly don't understand these things would apply to it. These are people that are interested. They're investigating this concept, special adverse events and special interest following mRNA vaccination and randomized trials. And as I've shown you before. The results, Pfizer, Moderna, mRNA COVID vaccines were associated with an increased risk of serious adverse events of special interest. So not just headache, but death, hospitalization, serious. Combined, the mRNA vaccines were associated with an absolute risk increase of serious adverse events of special interest, 12.5 per 10,000. The excess risk of serious adverse events of special interest surpassed the risk reduction for hospitalization from COVID-19 relative to the placebo group in both injections, meaning the benefits don't want to outweigh the risks. It's pretty simple. This is being peer-reviewed right now. When it does, I'll be sure and come back in and post it underneath all those people on Twitter, and they'll run away and never say another word about it, as usual. The excess risk of serious adverse events found in our study points to the need for formal harm-benefit analysis particularly those that are stratified according to risk, such as hospitalization or death. This is the the open day of report, but the point is almost 30,000 deaths by itself. Remembering that in general, we have 2,184,177 reports in general. This is being ignored, guys. In general. And as we've said many times, and a lot of people have, 
You're looking at over 90% of the entire system now consumed with one injection, or rather one type of injection, in a, in a, a what, two years or more or less, I guess? And at the end of the day, this has been up for decades, since the 90s, right? So we're talking about a situation where a two-year injection is to overtaking the entire system. Now, you could argue it's all lies, which I'm sure that which is what they would love to insinuate. Well, we don't know. Unverified. People can say whatever they want. Nobody's ever argued otherwise. That's why this point's important. I've, said, I've made this clear the other day. Here is what the UK said about the Vayers type safety or signal reporting in 2006. Now, it's the same, same sort of system they have over there. It's a safety signal reporting system. Today, the corporate media, and I just showed you this, and I think it was Washington Post, they've literally just argued the Vayers data is meaningless. That's a direct quote from their reporting. Meaningless. So why are they even using it then? Meaningless is a pretty clear word. It's without meaning. Not that it's, it's, we use it for this or we use it for that, but it's ultimately not being used. Meaningless means you don't use it at all. So that's just a really clumsy argument. But I said, why? Because the MHRA described below the reports we're seeing right now are enough. This is being hidden. Here's the Guardian from 2006. The MHRA, who, who controls the yellow card system in UK, says, quote, or rather, uh, Dr. June Rain of the agency says herself on the record, there is no need to prove that the medicine, whatever you're reporting on, caused the adverse reaction. Just the suspicion is good enough. And what they're referring to is good enough to pull it off the market. And they go on to discuss that they've done it before. And we're talking about 50, 100 reports. Swine flu. Under 100 in multiple cases in the past. And they pulled the entire ejection using the same type of systems. Unverified claims. So explain for me why we can know this, that they can report this on The Guardian. They can say that this is the case, that we don't have to prove these things. And yet when we look at the system where we're watching that happen, we're seeing unverified reports that all we need is the signals. And we see, we're seeing over 2 million of them. And they just go, well, we don't know for sure. It's meaningless. It's unverified. All that's other than meaningless, all that's true. And that's why we should pull these, because we don't know for sure. Think about saying that it's we don't know if these are safe, but we're going to use it anyway for your safety. That's not what they're going to say, obviously. But if we're getting these reports, they're not investigating them. And according to their own experts, the very reporting being this high is enough to pull these off the market. You're in a situation where they're just they're breaking their own system to push in something for an agenda. And this should be alarming to everybody. And finally, here's my point here is that somebody this back. Here's an argument of somebody talking about, you know, vaccine adverse events and so on. And this person's talking about how many reports. Daniel Hayes pointing out how many reports they've been reported. And he's saying 43,000 of them. This guy's, nope, not even the yellow card says that. And posts some graphic that he grabbed from somewhere with no source material. And of course, this is where the intelligent people step in. And he goes, nope, try again. And post literally every single link to what you want to look at, which all of them show that this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, which I don't even know where he got that weird graph from. This is the kind of stuff we see sped around. But this person says yellow card is and always was a reporting mechanism. So here's how this is called moving the goalpost, right? So he goes, nope, not true. And then he proves he's right. And instead of going, oh, my mistake, you got the numbers right. I didn't. He just goes, well, it doesn't matter anyway, because the whole system is broken. See how that works? But it goes, the MHRA have long said as such, and it is shown on their website. Right. So nobody argued that it's a provable system. He goes, the only true death count is from the ONS based on certification. Yellow card side effects include pregnancy. That's how untrustworthy, it, how trustworthy it is. And Daniel steps in and posts my link, which 
ends the conversation. It doesn't matter is the point. Even the UK yellow card system made clear that just the hypothetical threat, just the signals are the only reason it's there. That's why it was designed that way. Now the very design is being pointed as the reason that doesn't prove what they're saying. Think about how ridiculously Orwellian that is. And of course I come in at crickets, right? It's because that is the kind of, that's what we need to do. Stop playing these games. Same with the collapsing athlete conversation, right? We have studies that show that the amount of people that are collapsing, whatever's causing it, is so far past the normal of any year you can point at that it's alarming. One of the two I keep pointing at that the people actually use to argue we're crazy shows you 1 to 40,000, about 1, 1 to 41 to 80,000 in a given year. And there's different reports from FIFA or another NIH article that do more countries, but it's generally about the same. And anyone you look at, I've shown you all four of the ones I've used, are very clearly more, or the, 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 the argument would be that what we're seeing today is more than what they're saying is normal. 1.46 to 5 at the years and every 100,000 or whatever that one thing in NIH was, one in 40,000, or the FIFA one, which was 617 over the process of 10 years, or excuse me, four years. Oh, that's all confusing without the studies in front of us, but the bottom line is, look at the past shows we've done. Right now, I can show you five people that had cardiac arrest in athletic positions over the last week. Now, I'm not saying that's all caused by the vaccine. I would argue there's investigation that should be done. But the point is, if we're seeing that many just over a week period that right there puts you over what you're expected to see in a year, why aren't people freaking out about that? Because there's such a sensitive discussion around whether the vaccine's causing it that they're just plugging their ears. That one thing is going to go down as one of the most obvious criminal activities or rather just malfeasance of all time. Just in one Christmas weekend, you saw four, four, Professional athletes have cardiac arrest and die. Now, that could be caused by whatever you want to call it. I don't even care at this point in the conversation. But why we can have four in one weekend, and yet they would argue that only two to three or four maybe in a year should be happening. We have about 35,000 athletes in this country. 35 to 40,000. This is what the U.S. statistics will point out. So if we're supposed to see one in 40,000 or one in 80,000 in a year, that's two. We have seen far more than just two U.S. athletes have cardiac arrests. You see, my point in bringing this up now is their argument will be as if we're trying to argue, and some people are, that it's proven they're all the vaccine. And that becomes the point. Instead of getting into that mired argument, do what he did here. Stand back and just make the broad argument. Fine, ignore the vaccination. What's causing all the cardiac arrest? Crickets. Because they're either trolls or they suddenly realize, oh my God, he's right. And they don't want to look stupid, so they run away. The bottom line is this stuff is easy to prove. Here is the New South Wales report. Again, for what? This would be the fourth week we've now shown. And guess what it says? Actually, let's just start with what their tweet said, which I find very revealing. This is from June 22nd. Hospital admissions include people with COVID-19 who are admitted for other reasons. Okay, that's just kind of a caveat. Well, well, they might not. They might not. Well, isn't that funny? Because in the beginning of all this, when we were going, what about the fact that people went in for other reasons and then got tested and got told they had COVID and then went left and they never got sick? Well, it's just for your safety. And they called you conspiracy theorists when that happened. Here, now it's okay. Well, now we're doing it to diminish the fact that people who have injections are, in fact, in the hospital. But it doesn't matter. Here's the point. There are 77 COVID-19 deaths reported this week. Of these... All were eligible for a third dose of COVID-19 vaccine, but only 56, 73% of them had received a third dose. 
So first of all, 73% of every single one of them in that group are considered fully injected according to U.S. standards. And most around the world, three shots is kind of what the where most people have gotten to now while they're giving fourth, even fifth shots around the world. But 73% of them had fully vaccinated and they're dying, 73%. But how about on top of the fact that all of them were injected, 77, all of them. Think about that. Now, here's an interesting dynamic. That's what they're saying right there. So of 77, all of them were eligible for the third shot, meaning they all at least had two. But here's the actual breakdown. And I find this really interesting because what's weird to me is under no dose, it still says four deaths, which they list 77 as the total. So either New South Wales is misrepresenting their own data, or what it means is that these people, even in no dose, had shots in their body, which is the truth, guys. That's the reality, because you can read this report where it breaks down that even people with injections and problems like death that happen within the first 21 days get kicked into the category of no dose or unvaccinated. But let's just pretend there were four deaths. It still points out that in the three dose category is where most people are having the problems. Now, yes, as I always point out, I pretend I don't, is that yes, it makes sense to argue that you would see an increase in the majority category. Which the argument being that that in this case, New South Wales, actually, let me do this real quick. Just I forget what it was. I looked it up last time. Vaccine uptake. Let's see what it says. In New South Wales, can you pick it by spot? Maybe not. Well, let's just say Australia, make it broad. Only 61% of the population. I swear I had New South Wales last time, but I don't want to waste time trying to find it. Maybe it's one of those. In any case, let's just go with 61. It could be higher in New South Wales, just to put a caveat out there. But 61%, right? So you have 61% of the population injected. And you're going to pretend that, that week to week, by the way, it's been exactly the same, if not worse now, every week going forward, that you're going to have the vast majority of hospitalizations, 189, ICU, 24, and death, 48, in the three-dose category. With only 60%, so you're telling me 40% of the population, which is, you know, getting reasonably close to half, are not injected with the fully injected category, but you're telling me that these people are, I mean, the argument should be that these people down here should be falling in the streets, right? That's what they keep wanting to tell you, that you're super, super at the most risk. But it seems that the vast majority, I mean, I'm talking, what, four out of 77, you're talking over 90% of all this is happening in people that are injected. That's the simple point. And then you can argue, you know, argue, you could point out that in the UK and Canada, Alberta, Ontario, their data shows you that the risk per 100,000 is still higher in the vaccinated categories. That's, of course, when you make sure you include everybody that's vaccinated, not just people on the current highest level, which in this case is four or more. There's no way to misunderstand this. This is the problem, is that there, there's caveats and sidesteps to the obvious representation. They told you this wasn't going to happen. You're not going to die. You're not going to go to the hospital, which suddenly became, well, of course, you're going to see most people in the hospital vaccinated because now we have the. It's just a shifting narrative. Now, as always, there's kernels of truth. They always argued you would see more because as the representation goes up. But the fact that it's the majority is never what they wanted you to think. And that is the reality. And we'll keep going in until they censor the New South Wales data as well, like they have Scotland, UK, CDC never revealed it to you. All these different places have been constantly hiding this stuff from you. And here's where we find people still pushing what they pretend was never going to happen. Should public schools right now, according to the Rasmussen reports, make school, should public schools make COVID-19 vaccines 
mandatory for students. Why is this even a conversation? Kids are unprecedentedly unaffected by this, like less affected than the flu and plenty of other things we pointed at. And yet we're pushing this because of unknown possible risk, like long COVID, which seems to be predominantly psychosomatic, according to the peer-reviewed science. It just becomes obscene that they're pushing this still. And of course, they're simply, yes, yes, is the answer. And they just go on to put these categories down here as if people that are voting but realize that it looks like what their votes are showing is that most people don't agree with that. Except Democrats. Regardless, the point is that people are pushing for kids, hashtag vaccinator kids, to be forced to take this. The only thing I can see from this is virtue signaling, uh, brainwashed politics, and <clears throat> the push to get this mandatory for children so they can then hide behind their indemnity for everybody or everything that's being done. That's what this is going toward. Now, here's Fauci arguing that there is no incident of myocarditis or MISC for children after the injection. Except that's obviously the opposite because they're ignoring all of the safety signals as we just got or they just got caught for. But here's what he says. Vaccine was essentially the same, no better or worse than what we've seen with any of a number of childhood vaccines that we regularly administer to our children. There was no incidence of myocarditis or multi-system inflammatory syndrome of children. Yeah, except let's remember that's what they said the first time about everybody. And now they're grudgingly admitting, well, it's just it's not as bad as COVID. So do it anyway. But you said it was fake when we first reported it. Right. It's the same kind of thing. Now, these are very quick and bastardized studies. They continue to get caught for almost directly stating the opposite of what the data finds. I mean, I'm talking former FDA executives. We're talking other scientists, other doctors going through this and going, this is criminal. I mean, they're actually finding that this is dangerous and then just approving it anyway. That's happened more than once or discontinuing certain meetings or committees that were supposed to take place. And it's everything's off the rails. This is not true. We are seeing everywhere that this is the case from all the studies from Israel and everywhere else. I mean, this is what I'm just pointing at. New study links COVID vaccines, 25% increase in cardiac arrest for every age group. It varies, but it's across the board. Anybody that takes this shot is taking an increased risk of cardiac arrest. And that's why we have this aggressive effort to couch anything everywhere happening like heart attacks and cardiac arrest as some other thing, climate change, heat, 75 degree weather, you know how it goes. Here's the peer-reviewed study I pointed out before. The incidence of myocarditis and pericarditis in post-COVID unvaccinated patients. That they did not find that problem. So if there is no association with with whatever you're calling COVID-19 and and myocarditis, we did not observe an increased risk. Post-COVID infection was not associated with either of them. That means that you are gaining a risk. Just because they say they didn't see it in this study, the point is they've already admitted it definitely increases the risk for anybody that takes it. So you're giving children that don't need this, who aren't at risk from COVID, as your own studies find, as the Oxford calculator proves, something that increases their risk of a heart problem. Now, even mild, as their own NIH study finds, increases your risk of mortality by up to 56% over the next 10 years. That's that's the NIH's own myocarditis study from before COVID-19. But yet, here we are, arguing that just because it doesn't, because we didn't see this big problem in our study, therefore it should be given to them. This is running on the assumption that COVID is so dangerous for kids that we should be okay with that. As long as it doesn't kill them, we should give it to them is sort of the argument. They're not at risk. 
I'm being facetious about the kill them part. I mean, it doesn't give them a heart problem, so it's good then. <laughs> well, that's a pretty weird slippery slope, isn't it? But here's another expert who spoke up before we got here, I think it was 2021, who was telling you that these things were never designed to work, which we should know. We've made this argument before, but this is there's a million different arguments you could make about why they already knew this wasn't going to work and all the potential risks are coming along with potentially no benefit at all. From the middle of last year, the mantra has been from big pharma and government all over the world that the vaccines are going to save us. So the, the plan has been to roll them out on massive... And there's been a propaganda campaign associated with that vaccine rollout. So there are all these new newfangled expression vector vaccines, which really quite, which are potentially very dangerous, but do they work? Does a jab in the vaccine, so sorry, does a jab in the arm vaccine, can that possibly protect you against being infected with COVID-19? Well, I have to be quite emphatic now, categorical, and use my authority as one of the researchers 50 years ago developing the concept of local mucosal immunity and secretory IgA in the nose, mouth, and gastrointestinal tract. None of those vaccines put into the arms can possibly activate that immunity. They don't, they say can't work, just on first principles. Now, what, what angers me is that Big Pharma, all my scientific colleagues in Australia, you know, Peter Doherty, John Shine, all the other, all, all the senior scientists advocating the vaccine, they know that. They know the vaccine can't work. It doesn't activate local mucosal oronasal immunity. You have to induce that. And that's how, Herd immunity develops in the population, by the way. That's how we get natural immunity. But they can't work because they don't activate that. See, the, the IgA molecule is a specialised antibody that doesn't activate the cytokine storms or all the other antibody enhancement effects that Professor Dolores Kale talked about. It's just a, a simple binder. It's a highly avid multi-point binder that literally ties up a virus, neutralises it, prevents it getting into the cell to cause havoc, neutralises toxins, neutralises any bacterial pathogen that's trying to get in through our nose and mouth and respiratory tract or gastrointestinal tract. Now, I know all this because I've worked in the area and none of the, none of the current jab in the arms can possibly activate that immunity. So the first thing, and I want to say it emphatically, and I'll take on all comers on this one, it can't work. They can't work. So that is a big lie that has been pushed on the human population. And, and why isn't anybody having these conversations? I mean, this guy is clearly an expert in this regard. He is somebody that should be listened to in this exact conversation. I mean, it, it just, it's baffling to me. What you should do is pick the bit of the virus that's genetically most stable. Now, I don't know that we knew it at the beginning, but it's certainly true now that the thing that, that undergoes variation most quickly is the spike protein. Um, you know, that's a shame. So now, now you've picked something that's going to rapidly go out of focus. You know, it's rapidly uh, evolved to a different variant and your vaccine won't work anymore. But, and then, but here's something else they definitely did know. You would pick a part of the virus that is, this is important, most different from humans. Uh, so viruses and humans and fungi and bacteria are all living organisms. They have some relationships because we all probably originated from the same you know, instantiation of life, you know, however that happens. And then there's been evolution ever since. And so the similarities and differences, 
what you do is you, you can run searches and you can find a bit of the virus that's most virusy and most dissimilar from anything else that's in your body. And if you do that, you don't pick spike protein. Spike protein is slightly similar to lots of bits of human. Not very, slightly similar to lots of bits of human. Guess what happens if you do that? You make an immune response to bits of protein that look a bit like you. And sometimes you end up with a spillover. That's called an autoimmune response. So you start to attack your own body. Where have you heard that before? So just to yeah. say again, you deselect things that are toxic in their own right. You pick things that are genetically stable and you pick things that are most different from humans. All three of those, in the words of patents, they teach away. They would teach you away from picking spike protein. But guess what? Moderna picks spike protein. Oh, and so does Pfizer and AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson. Yeah. So I put it to you, colleagues, any scientists out there or just logical people, how the hell would they pick? No team I was ever part of would ever have picked bloody spike protein for this virus, this vaccine. And you know what? If we, if we did and we had competing groups, we would not all four of us make mistake. The same mistake is not possible. Good drug discoverers. It's not a mistake. Mike, can you not argue that's mistake. not a mistake then? So I believe it's collusion yeah. and malfeasance. They did it on purpose, knowing it would hurt you. It's an interesting, it's a big statement, right? And the reason I played it afterwards, the same point. These are highly regarded experts with massive credentials that are telling you, I know these people. I know they know what I know, right? Now, and this is what's so frustrating is people like Michael Yeadon, especially who 30 year veteran from Pfizer, who no longer works there and is now calling out the illusion is being called a conspiracy theorist because he's saying something today you're not allowed to say. Now, does that call into question all of his 30 years of work that he did with Pfizer? Well, I'm sure as hell they're not going to do that. They're going to, what about all the things he worked on? What all the drugs that are still being used that he was along, right? You see how that works? So you're either debunked or you're not, apparently, according to the current situation. But you're, you're, if he's debunked, well, so is a lot of the things they've continued to do. It's an, obviously a stupid thing to say. He's obviously a very intelligent person. You can argue he could be wrong in this case, but he knows this information. So does the other guy who was talking about the injection model. These things are not supposed to be, they know better. It's hard to miss that. And here's people like Biden being trotted out who is pushing the idea that you should get your kids injected. Are we pretending like people don't know that's there? It was every channel said it for three days straight. Now you're all five year, four months old, five months old can go get it, blah, blah, blah. Go get your kids vaccinated. Go get your kids vaccinated. It's safe and effective. It's everywhere. The fact that he has to stand up from the White House and say, get your kids vaccinated. There's a problem here, guys. Like, this is crazy. Not, and it, this is under the guise that this is because it's in everyone's best interest. It's not. There's no reason this makes sense other than some kind of agenda. These kids are not in danger. This thing is obviously dangerous for everybody, especially for children. And if you think it's in your best interest, well, sure, that's your choice. But to pretend like this needs to happen and to stand up and make this statement, which then allows these public schools to push it on their children, to coerce it on their children because they believe it's the right thing. They're caught up in the politics or maybe they don't care. This is criminal. Everything about this. It says these safe and effective vaccines approved for our youngest kids. This is President Biden's Twitter account lying about approved. Am I, you guys, please, where are the censors, right? What about the disinformation board? Isn't Biden going to get attacked for, for claiming these are approved? They're not. It's emergency authorization. So he's lying to you. But nobody cares. Just like the original tweet that we talked about, right? Where was that? Right here. 
You're allowed to lie as long as it's in the direction of pro-vaccine. Well, it's going to protect you from dying. Well, good. Everyone reports it. Still there. Biden lying to you, saying it's approved. Still there. No big deal. It's crazy, isn't it? Everybody should know that. This is not approved. Even the corporate media said it wasn't approved. Some of them. PBS said it was approved. Stupid. Maybe they don't know any better. Maybe Biden doesn't know any better. I don't, I, I don't believe for one second that he's typing this out. I don't even think he's aware of this is on here. Probably wasn't even aware he gave this speech. But the point is, guys, that this is obviously fake news. But it's, it, it's okayed fake news. You see, that's what the government board is meant to do. Now, finally, we have some sickening things happening in regard to Tennessee. An infant, an infant was denied a transplant because of vaccination status. Think about that. A seventh, a seven-month-old baby. Do we realize that this moments ago was emergency authorized for this age group? Emergency authorized, and because this infant right now doesn't have this, they're saying nope, nope, can't do it. That means this baby was on this list up until that shift happened, like a week ago. Whenever, when, when was that? Just ha- it just happened, right? I'm forgetting the date right now. It doesn't matter. You guys know. We just reported on it, like last week. They say, oh, it's emergency authorized for five-month-old and, and to, to five years old, right? Or six-month-old to five years. So that means this, this infant was on this list for transplants this whole time, being allowed to think it was going to, and in the moment that they make this arbitrary emergency authorization, they then go, oh, no, you can't do it. You're no longer allowed to because you have to rush out and give this baby who's waiting for a transplant and a genetically altering injection that could possibly add complications to this surgery? Or how about just the fact that it's a child and that they're not at risk or any number of things? How about the fact that it probably already got other injections and we don't know if it's safe alongside those injections? I mean, none of this matters. And it should, even based on their own allegations of trusting the science. This is unscientific. This is punitive and it is political. And you are putting a baby at risk because of your own garbage. Tennessee stands is calling this out. Good for him. Gary Humble out of Tennessee. This is disgusting. But guess what? It's not new by any means. Here's an unvaccinated man who was denied a heart transplant because of his vaccination status. The idea that we're pretending that people who are in the middle of this process, which means their immune systems are probably already struggling, that you're going to give them an injection that's provably reducing people's immune system. I'm not talking about the larger conversation. I'm talking about Pfizer's own data that shows that you are higher at risk for infection within the first week. And that after three months, it goes negative. That's why they want you to keep getting them. The point is you already are creating a situation for the first week alone, based on their own data, where you are at higher risk of infection. Why would you want to give an infant or an infant that needs a transplant anything that would reduce their immune system even momentarily? I mean, it's just, you could go off on a thousand different angles. This is crazy. Here's another example. Man denied vital kidney transplant in North Carolina over not getting the injection. The point here, guys, is these people may already be dead for all we know. And yet they care about people's lives. Finally, good decision. Some people actually are out there standing up for you, even if it's back and forth. Publix in Tennessee, at the very least, was kind of walking the line at first, you know, masks and so on. But so were a lot of people. But right now... Publix won't give COVID vaccine to children under five. Publix, which I don't know where you are in the country, but this is at least in in Tennessee, they are saying that they will refuse to give these injections to children at their stores. Good for them. I, from this point forward, right now, I will know, I will shop nowhere else other than Publix right now. 
just because of that. That's what we should be doing. We need to stand by the people that are willing to stand up for you. It's important. Now, finally, as they're still pushing these things on children, the FDA is investigating reports of babies' death after consuming Abbott's formula. They're doing their due diligence, right? So right now, we're happy. They're happy to ignore millions of reports coming in from Bayer's. Millions of them. Just by going, well, we don't know for sure. They could be lying about it. That's what's happening right now. Whether it's the CDC or the FDA or anybody. There's endless reports coming in from people that are going, I just died, my family just died, I lost a limb, I can't see, I lost strokes, Bell's palsy, blood clots, heart attacks, thrombosis, vaccine-induced thrombosis, thrombocytopenia. All these things are verifiable, possible, super rare, they say, but possible side effects. So all of it's happening. And yet when people say it's happening, they go, fake news, you're censored, we can't talk about it, you're spreading misinformation. It's all happening. Like the Division One golfer who had a doctor verify that he got myocarditis from the injection. The doctor signed the documentation. They admit that it can happen. They still censor him talking about what happened to him. He can't play golf for the rest of his life. Division one, he had scholarships coming his way. But he's fake news, though, because he says it happened to him, and a doctor proved it. Doesn't that, remember that old saying? It's only fake news when you prove it's happening. But the point here is the FDA said it learned about the death, which occurred in January, from a consumer complaint. Ah, so just like theirs. Consumer complains about it. Somebody died. How do you know, how do you know it wasn't something else the child took? CMC was exactly the same situation. The FDA didn't say which Abbott formula the baby had consumed or where it was produced. Even the Abbott spokesperson themselves said, well, it's limited product and clinical information. So it's a pro- we're having trouble evaluating it. The company will investigate further. So what do they do? Well, we, we pause the formula, right? And we investigate to make sure it's not dangerous. This should make you furious. So we don't have any information other than hypothetical hyper, you know, like uh, in a hypothetical, uh, well, I guess it works, but uh, subjective statements that, well, this killed my baby. Okay, well, we should care about that. Just like we should care about somebody saying the injection killed their baby. But the difference is the formula, at least on an abstract point, leans into another agenda of removing the formula. But that aside, they're willing to look into it because you know we need to make sure it's safe, right? So they shut it down and look into it. But we have endless reports of the same in regard to the vaccine, but they refuse to look into it because, well, our, it's conservative is lying about it. Don't we know that? Shouldn't you prove that? Shouldn't you care that we have 28,000 reports of death from all of the, co- the COVID injections, and yet we act like we don't know for sure, but we keep giving it anyway? Here's another example. FDA orders the Juul e-cigarettes and vaping products to be taken off the market. You want to know why? First of all, they said that they, this is yesterday, they're taking them off the market. Says here, politicians and anti-tobacco advocates have accused the company of using these flavors. This is great. Along with the sleek design resembling a USB drive to market vaping to children and teenagers. Oh, you mean like giving in, in injection parties with clowns and, and cartoons? You mean like using uh, uh, virtual virtual reality goggles to make it look like they're in some fantasy land, giving them ice cream instead of an injection? You mean like going to story time and talking about fantasy? Yeah, all those things which are happening around this experimental injection that children don't need. So what's the difference? Oh, because they've decided smoking specifically tobacco is bad, but not bad enough to stop because we only hate c- cannabis stopping it. But we, we don't want the other type of vaping stuff. So we'll allow big tobacco to kill everybody every day constantly, but we won't allow the vaping because vaping's dangerous. By the way, I'm not even getting into the vaping COVID-19 thing because it's the whole quagmire that I probably will circle back to. But the point is 
making it look like things for children to like. So they don't like that because they've decided this is bad. When they decide it's good, well, we'll do the same thing. See how subjective it is? Nicotine exposure from e-cigarettes can hinder brain development. Oh, in adolescents and young adults, which can continue into their mid-20s, according to who? The CDC. Oh, no. Well, we don't want to hinder brain development, so let's give them something that has very clear peer-reviewed connection to ALS and Alzheimer's or other neurological problems. I'm not making it up. Peer-reviewed science at least three different times has found obvious connection to other types of neurological side effects from the injection. Super rare, they say. So why don't we care about that? Where are the studies proving these e-jewel cigarettes actually hinder brain development? You don't get those. You get observational hypothetical. Well, they could because we know this can happen. That's what they're talking about. So we have peer-reviewed science that proves an endless amount of possible side effects. And all they point at is this and don't go. What about cigarettes? Cigarettes, which are way, way, way worse than the vaping. Well, because they think vaping is more associated with children, they go after. The bottom line is, guys, this is about industry, about profit, and this has nothing to do with safety. But that's not even the main point, I should say. The main point is the idea that they're willing to pull things off the market because of hypothetical risk they can't prove while ignoring provable risk they've admitted to that never stops. The CDC also says e-cigarettes can contain heavy metals. I'm not even making this up. And cancer-causing chemicals. You mean like uh, mercury or aluminum or any number of things that are still currently in plenty of injections or let alone the fact that we're talking about other types of unknown ingredients in these mRNA injections or things that we've talked about. I mean, are you serious? Or the fact that specifically mRNA itself, specifically and respectively, nanoparticles themselves, specifically the spike protein, all three of them by themselves respectively have been shown to cause cancer by peer-reviewed science. But we don't care about those ones, though, because this one has been shown to contain these things that we then tell you are dangerous. Only when they're in this e-cigarette, though. So when we see them in other things you're currently taking, we do promote, we just pretend that's not a problem, though. And can damage the lungs. Really. But take these masks that have all sorts of microplastics and other kinds of metals and chemicals and all sorts of other things, or just the fact that it's on your face all day, that also does. But who cares about these real provable things? We only care about the one thing we want to talk about. This should make you furious. As Link points out, you know, don't vape because it's bad for you. But hey, but here, try this experimental injection because... Because causes a flurry of instant and long-term effects. And while we're at it, let's inject it in most innocent six-month-old babies. But yeah, don't vape. Got it. Unbelievable. Now, to finish off, I want to give a shout-out to a person named James Top. Reached out to see if I can get him on for an interview. I find this to be pretty commendable. He's marching a 50-plus kilometer a day, which is crazy. For someone that did you know, between 15 to 25 kilometers a day when I was doing the El Camino de Santiago, which is where that picture comes from for the last American Vagabond. I, I'm the one that took that of people I was backpacking with. 50 kilometers a day, that is crazy. That's a lot. More, I mean, for those in the United States or other places, speaking miles, you know, the only weird place in the world that does its own thing, that's way more than 50 miles. I forget the translation, but as it goes on to say, 4,297 kilometers from BC to Ottawa to protest the VAX mandate, which he's declined as a soldier. He's doing something which the truckers protest didn't do, but perhaps enabled. He's just met with a group of 17 plus Canadian politicians. Now, not to, no way to diminish the truckers protest. That, what he's saying, that's what started 
the impetus for why he's doing this. They're both something that we should support. But I think it's important to see that this person is doing sort of a, a Forrest Gump type thing, if you will, to draw attention to the fact that this is happening. And I just think that's great. I think good for him, whether it does what he wants it to do or not. I think it's a commendable act. And so I'm going to include that. Here's the, the page for it. We all need to do what we can to draw attention to how terrible this all is. I'll leave you with this video that was shared with me today, which is a good breakdown of the difference between privileges and freedom. Now, I don't know if this is the, the, the Instagram channel that actually made it or if it's just where we first saw it, but nonetheless, I'll give point to this YouTube, excuse me, Instagram channel because that's where we saw it. And I'll leave you with this video today because I'll tell you, it's amazing the kind of things that we conflate today, you know, like constitutional rights with what we believe or what we want to be having our political agendas, or simply in this case, the idea that being handed things because you did what you were told, pretending that that's getting your freedom back. I mean, guys, this is just, it's insulting to your intelligence. Like so many other things we've talked about today. It's time to stand up for these freedoms, these constitutional rights that they don't have the right to take away. That's the point. Now, even, and by the way, even using freedoms in that context, that in and of itself is part of the problem. These are inherent concepts as the, or as the, as the video makes clear itself that freedom is something you give yourself. Freedom is something that you acknowledge yourself. Not some, anybody that gives you something, that's not freedom. It's a privilege that can be taken away the moment they want to. Stand up, guys. It's time to stand up. I love you all. As always question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. This is a shout out to all my vaccinated and unvaccinated friends. I would like to explain the difference between your freedom and the COVID injection. Does the injection really give you freedom? The answer is absolutely no. By having the injection, you don't get freedom. You get privileges. To be privileged is something very different to having freedom. Let me explain why. Freedom is not something that you can receive from anyone. Freedom is self-determined. Freedom allows you to decide what is right for you. Privileges or special rights are given to you as a reward for your obedience or compliance. Special rights are something given to you from authority figures. The reality is, though, anyone that gives you privilege can take them away at any time. They can randomly change the rules to suit themselves. So with the injection, you are not getting freedom. You are agreeing to the random discretion of the authorities. This is the exact opposite of freedom. By taking these injections, you are being forced into a dependency. The only way to really have your freedom is by not taking these injections. If you've already been injected, it's not a problem. All you need to do is avoid taking any more injections. Just don't play the game. This pandemic will only last as long as you decide to play along. So I'm urging you, don't trade your freedom for privilege.